the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the Dave Ellswick Show, and I am Robert Steinbuck filling in for Dave today. It's my pleasure to be here. It's my uh, humble honor to have Dave's confidence. This is 101.1 FM, The Answer, uh, and our call-in number is 501 823 0965. One more time, 501 823 0965. We got a lot to talk about today. Uh, Kim Hammer, soon to be senator here in Arkansas, is coming by shortly. We're going to have some other guests. And of course, we're going to talk about a number of issues, including freedom of speech, the Freedom of Information Act, and guns. Guns and guns, because nobody seems to know anything about guns these days. So let's get started right there and then. And remember, please call in with any of your comments. And Mr. Producer Zach is monitoring uh, today and he will help us out. So there's an article that a nonprofit group sued the University of Texas system over policies that they've adopted restricting students from, quote, biased, rude, offensive, an uncivil speech, end quote. Are you kidding me? I guess they can't listen to this show because I'm not sure which ones of those categories don't apply. I'm certainly uncivil, according to the leftists, at least, right? Offensive? I'm a conservative. That's the definition of offensive to these leftists. Rude? I was born rude, and I only get ruder. Again, according to them. I do fine with my friends. I do fine with my family. Zach, am I okay? He's giving me the thumbs up. What do you say, Zach? I think you're all right. Thank you, Zach. (laughs) So Zach won't call me offensive, rude, and uncivil. The only thing that I'll say is that I am indeed unbiased. And why would I say that I'm unbiased? Because the leftists keep telling us that we're all biased. Well, you know what? You can be biased. You can decide you're biased. I ain't biased. It's that plain and simple. This problem is going on across the country at universities. Students are self-censoring. These autocrats, these neo-fascists are marching around these universities telling students how to think. What to say? I'm not talking about what to say in a classroom like two plus two is four, so say four. No, I'm telling that, I'm saying that they're telling these students, well, you can't say these words because somebody might be upset about these words. You can't say Merry Christmas. Somebody may not celebrate Christmas. Hey, guess what, folks? I've talked about all the time on this radio show, and Dave has welcomed the, the commentary that I am Jewish. So guess what that means? I don't celebrate Christmas. And guess what I say to everybody out there listening? Merry Christmas! It don't offend me to wish all of my wonderful Christian friends Merry Christmas! And you know what they say to me? They say, thank you. And when it's Hanukkah, which often coincides roughly with Christmas, they say, Happy Hanukkah! Guess what? We're allowed to be different. That's what's remarkable about this. These leftists 
want to tell you that we are supposed to have all individual identities. And then when we on the right want to recognize that identity, the religious identity, I said it, religious identity, all of a sudden it's a crime is what it is to these leftists. So, folks, I welcome your thoughts. Give a call in 501-823-0965. Why is it that the commentary from those on the right is deemed rude, offensive, uncivil, and commentary by the left is not across America's universities? I can answer that question because those that run the universities are a bunch of leftists and they've lost sight of the reality of education. Education is to, pro- to promote different ideas. Former circuit judge uh, Richard Arnold uh, wrote about this when he was in high school. In high school. I'm guessing roughly 50 years ago. And he said they had a bunch of leftist history professors. Just different spectrums along the left. And he's a Democrat or was a Democrat. Richard passed uh, many years ago. He was a Democrat. But he said you can't have real discussion, real debate. If all you have is one side of the debate, it's like one hand clapping. But this is what the leftists want. They want a debate between the left and the far left and the ultra far left. And where are the conservatives? Where, according to them, banished where they belong. Out of sight and out of mind. We don't need conservatives talking. Well, guess what, baby? We got conservative talk radio. And this is it. The Dave Ellswick Show on 101.1 FM, The Answer. We are not going to tolerate this constant onslaught by the left that indoctrinates our children, our students, day in and day out when it comes to education. And God forbid, oh, I said it, I said God, that's right, God forbid we have somebody on the right who's willing in academia to say something contrary. You know how hard it is for a conservative to get a job in academia these days? And the left, you know what they'll tell you? They will tell you, oh, well, we don't get applications from from conservatives. They don't want to work in academia. You know what they want? They want want something else. They want to go into business. Nonsense. Absolute nonsense. I see we've got a caller on the line. Let me go to that caller. Okay. Uh, Let me see. Pardon uh, me, folks, as I uh, manage the technology. Uh, go ahead, caller. Yeah, Mr. Steinbuck, it's interesting you started out today uh, talking about the academia. I've got a question to pose to your listeners. Um, law enforcement officers want uh, promote a society where law enforcement officers are educated. Um, I've got a situation where... Uh, I had to take classes before and after work. You know, law enforcement's kind of fluid, and we don't work uh, regular hours. So I'll, I'll take classes immediately uh, before work and immediately after. Sometimes it has required me to wear my uniform, but I was informed that wearing a uniform, or not the uniform per se, but having my service weapon would not be allowed on campus, even in full uniform. I'm just kind of curious to your thoughts of that. Uh, before I let you go, caller, let me make sure I understand what you're saying. Are you saying that as a cop, the the school told you that they don't want you coming in dressed as a cop to school? Correct. 
Oh my goodness. Well, we'll we'll answer this. Um, uh, um, uh, you know, well, thank you for the call. We'll we'll drop the call and we'll continue this discussion uh, of this issue. You know what, Zach? Uh, let's go to commercial. Can we go to commercial now, Zach? Uh, what, yeah, yeah, because uh, uh, my mind has to wrap around this craziness that I've just heard. So, Zach, if, let's go to commercial. We'll come back from commercial. Did you all catch what just happened before we went to break? We had a caller. A cop, I didn't catch what uh, uh, division, you know, if he was with the state police, the city police, whatever it may be. But a cop calls in and he says, I go to school at one of the universities. I presume it's one of the public universities. We'll see uh, if we can find out more details on this. Uh, Goes to school at one of the universities here. And you know what they told him? Hey, uh, we don't need you showing up in uniform with your gun. What? What we don't need you. Let me tell you, if I had a cop who could follow me around like a shadow with a gun on him at all times, that's what you call. You know what you call that? Secret Service protection. That's what presidents get. And here there are cops going to school, doing their job. By the way, cops are on duty twenty four seven. And you get a cop going to school, and some bureau hack. In some little office decides you can't wear a gun and a uniform to school? Are you kidding me? I was just railing against the leftists in universities and here you have it. It's like a cake with icing on top of it. Have you heard of something more leftist than that? Than some leftist bureau hack stuck in academia telling a law enforcement officer who's dedicated to saving lives and protecting property and protecting you, you can't show up in school. You can't better educate yourself if you want to wear your uniform and you want to wear your gun. What's going to happen? Is the gun going to jump out of his holster and and shoot somebody? Or are now we actually afraid that cops are going to be shooting people randomly in classrooms? You know, this is the period in time in history where we've seen mass shootings at schools. And there was a mass shooting, of course, years and years ago in Texas. Was in the the early 60s from the Tower, University of Texas. And we don't want cops with guns in our universities, A, learning, bettering themselves, bettering the community, and B, Offering, as they must, as they will, as they do, protection to everyone around them. Zach, we got to find out if we can get a hold of the presidents of the of the university systems here. I mean, this is craziness. We need to get these. If you're a president of a university in Arkansas, I hope you're listening. Do you know some bureau hack is telling your students, your tax-paying, tuition-paying students that they can't show up in a police uniform that they're entitled to wear with their firearm, protecting teachers and students and even the bureau hacks themselves? Are you aware of that, Mr. or Mrs. President of the university system? Is the governor aware of this? We need to get a hold of the governor's office because this is an outrage is what it is, I tell you. 
You know, I have a whole stack of papers that Zach spent hours printing out for me for topics that we're going to talk about. And I don't think we're going to get to most of them, Zach. Because you know what we're going to be talking about? We're going to be talking about the leftists being afraid of cops with guns in school now. Now, you heard the leftists before tell you, well, we don't know if we can provide sufficient protection to all the students in school. You know, we had all of these tragic shootings throughout the country in schools. We don't know how much protection we can can supply uh, uh, because it's costly and it's difficult and schools are spread out. And the conservatives said, let's put some cops in schools to protect them. And here, here in Arkansas, we have an Arkansas cop who volunteers to show up to school in uniform carrying a firearm. He volunteers because he's a student and he wants to better himself. Don't get me wrong. He has a motive as well. Conservatives like that. Conservatives like when everybody benefits. When he shows up in school wearing his uniform and his gun and they tell him, go home. We don't want you. We don't need you. That's something else. That is something else. So basically... If you're blue, right, the color of cops, we don't want you. This is anti-blueness is what this is. These people are crazy. Zach liked that one for everybody in the audience. Zach liked that one a lot, right? I mean, can you imagine it? Hey, maybe tomorrow they don't want to, they say, well, we don't want to see guns displayed. I gather. If they don't want to see guns, is tomorrow you can't wear a cross? We don't want to see God displayed. Can't wear a Jewish star. Can't wear the crescent for the, for the Muslims. I, I'm sorry, I don't know all the symbols, but you take my point. Is that what this world is coming to? Is that what the leftists have so taken over this world that they're telling cops, hey, don't bother coming to better yourself. Don't bother showing up to protect us. By the way, Zach, what do you think? Do you think that this applies to cops coming to answer a call what about to serve a warrant Are, do they have a sign out front of this school that says no cops allowed we don't want your type your type don't work here do they got signs like we had uh during the d- during the past that excluded different groups this one will be no cops allowed remember in the years past in new york uh, they when there was a big Irish immigration and there was an anti-Irish uh, racism uh, uh, that uh, developed and they said Irish need not apply. So maybe the schools are putting up signs now. Uh, um, cops need not apply to be students. We don't want you. We don't need you. Are you kidding me? We need to get a hold of the of the governor we need to get a hold of the of the attorney general and we need to get a hold of the president of these universities and find out what bureau hack came up with this absolutely awful idea this is crazy it reminds me once bear with me on this analogy folks it's going to take but a minute i went into a panera bread years ago and i ordered a bagel and i said you know i'm from new york originally so we know bagels and i ordered a bagel and uh, I said, you know, I'd like that toasted. And the woman said, oh, well, the toaster's behind you over by the condiments. I said, I didn't come here to make my own food. I can make my own food at home. I came here for you to make my food. She goes, well, the manager, i.e. the mid-level bureau hack, 
decided that he's going to turn off the central toaster at noon at a bread shop, mind you, at a bread shop to save a nickel on electricity. And I, I said to the woman working in the cash register, you know, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. And she just rolled her eyes and said, yeah, I didn't come up with it. I'm just telling you what happened. So I sat down with my untoasted bagel because I'm not doing the work. I toast, I toast my bagel at home, not a, not a Panera. I'm not working for them. And I get on their Wi-Fi and I send an email to their corporate office and I say, do you know you've got some bureau hack saving you a nickel on electricity and not toasting my darn bagel? An untoasted sesame bagel. You know what that is? That's like a suit without pants. That's what that is. And the, and the next time I went into that Panera, I said, I'd like a toasted sesame bagel. You know what they said? Yes, sir. Because some mid-level bureaucrat made a stupid decision. And when the bosses found out about it, oh, that, that went away real fast. So let's just hope, let's just hope that the bosses here are listening to this show. Because gosh knows, this is the show to be listening to. This is Dave Ellswick Worldwide on 101.1 FM, The Answer. And everybody who is anybody is listening to this show. And they're snookered into listening to me. They usually listen to the inspired Dave Ellswick. But I hope you folks are listening. We got a caller. Zach is uh, waving his hands and uh, spitting fire at me. Uh, Let's take that caller. That's uh, Haley. Hold on. Let me press that button. Haley, go ahead, Haley. Hi, how are you? I'm well. How are you? I'm doing well. So I was calling because, you know, um, a few minutes ago as I was listening, you had talked about um, the left and how they want their identities to be accepted. But when it comes to more right or conservative leaning people, and especially like those religious identities, that those are identities that they want nothing to do with. That's right. And I was calling because I used to be one of the most like left just like ultra feminist people you ever would have met in your whole entire life. Mm -hmm. Um, And a few years ago, I became a Christian, got saved, started going to church. Good for you. And my um, my belief systems and everything kind of started to, you know, lean more towards the conservative side. Mm -hmm. And what I've realized is um, as someone who used to hate those identities um, and just wanted to scream in people's faces about why they weren't accepting mine is that, we are often the ones who are being told we're scared of them, we're scared of what we don't know and all that kind of stuff. But the reality is a lot of the people on the other side of that, they're the ones that are just more comfortable in that victim role. Mm-hmm. And any identity or anything that could possibly offer them freedom is something that they're afraid of because they feel safe mm-hmm. being the victim. They feel safe being the ones that can say, oh, you don't like us or you don't want to help us or all that kind of stuff. They find safety in that. And so we're the ones, the religious ones who are trying to like offer hands or like do better things or provide protection or whatever else. We're the ones that are being called the bad guys simply because, you know, that's not something that they want anything to do with. They like being angry. They're happy being angry mm-hmm. because they find safety in that. Cause that's how I was until I found like freedom through Jesus Christ. I was happy being angry mm-hmm. and that's why they don't want to accept our identities. Haley, it's a great comment. I'm going to uh, respond and and continue the commentary after I uh, drop your call. Thank you so much for that wonderful commentary. Haley's right on the money here, folks. By the way, we're going to be going to commercial in in a few seconds. But Haley's right on the money here. The left doesn't want to hear it. And I will give credit to the left where left is due, where the credit is due. They used to be about free speech and sharing ideas. We're 30 seconds out from a commercial, folks. Uh, And the truth is that they have 
completely changed. They have adopted the policies of the Soviet Union. They have adopted the policies of not of the super uber left. And it's it's a tragedy. It's an absolute tragedy that we no longer can have a conversation uh, like honest Americans. So with that, folks, I'm going to send you the commercial uh, and the news now. This is Robert Steinbuck back on the Dave Ellswick show. One oh one dot one FM. The answer. Uh, we are continuing our conversation, our discussion of the left going off the cliff. By the way, we've got a state senator, Kim Hammer, on the way in. He tells me he's got a number of bills that he intends to be introducing shortly on some critical issues, very much like we're talking about free speech, free expression, particularly on campuses. Because of this wave that we're seeing, this wave of anti-expressive activity. Uh, and I'm going to broach with him his thoughts on the fact that what seems to me uh, is a public university telling a cop, we don't want you. We don't need you on campus as a student. If you're going to dare wear a uniform that has a gun on it, you're, hey, listen, you're just trained by law enforcement you're trained to be a cop you're trained to carry a gun you're trained to know uh, the use of of um, deadly force but apparently while that's good enough for the citizens of arkansas it ain't good enough for us can you believe that can you believe that well state soon to be senator uh, Kim Hammer just walked in the room and we're going to we're going to hammer him with this topic as well as other topics. Um, uh, and I see he's walking in with a stack of papers. Uh, maybe we're, it's a good time. Uh, uh, let me ask Mr. Producer, is it a good time to take a commercial break? OK, so we'll wait a few minutes. You see, I'm, I'm still learning, folks. Uh, and uh, uh, representative, currently representative, but soon to be Senator Hammer. And from here on in during the show, I will call him Senator Hammer. Uh, Senator Hammer is here with a stack of good bills. I have no doubt simply because they're coming from him. Um, and uh, we're going to talk about that. And uh, Kim, we're also going to talk about this news that we learned from a caller. Uh, a, a state cop calls in and says one of the universities telling him, oh, we don't want you to show up in uniform wearing a gun. We don't like guns, even on cops. So we're going to get into that because, uh, you know, you know, they're saying there ought to be a law. Well, you're a state senator. There ought to be a law. You're not expressing that uh, energy toward me personally, no, right? No, no. <laughs> I love Kim Hammer. Even though with a name like that, you've got to take the force. Yeah. Right? Yes. <laughs> yes, you do. Yes, you do. So I... I, I Kim, truly, I'm, uh, you know, what's your initial reaction to this? And this is all we have so far. I'd like to get to see if there are any, any cops listening in uh, who've experienced any of this. Please give a call, 501-823-0965, 501-823-0965. If you're a cop in Arkansas and have tried to attend school and have been told, don't wear a gun or know of a cop who've, who has experienced this, I would like to hear from you in particular. Give uh, Zach, the producer, a call, and he'll uh, put you on the line with us. So um, you, what's your initial reaction, uh, uh, Senator Hammer, to this, uh, to this notion that uh, 
that some schools are a school, some schools, I don't have all the details, are apparently telling cops, oh, you're not allowed to wear a gun on campus. I would say on the on the merit of what you just said, and that's the limited amount of knowledge I have, Me if too. indeed that <laughs> is the, you know, that is indeed the way that it that it plays out. Uh, I'd be curious to know which which college. First of all, yeah. I think that yeah. uh, I think they ought to be given the dubious honor of being recognized for that comment. And let, indeed, you know, let their uh, you know let the citizens in the area you know voice their opinion to them. And I would hope the indeed. majority of the of the citizens um, you know would say that's ludicrous. Uh, if I'm you know if I'm a police officer, unless I choose to be undercover, which has its advantages, of I get it. Uh, but you know in a crowd where something breaks out and you know god forbid a shooting should start i think it would be in the best interest of everybody to identify that as a police officer because he or she is wearing the uniform exactly exactly and you know if that is the position that that school takes uh then i think that just is more evidence of the of the left uh you know left-sided thinking about things which when you think about universities unfortunately uh, many of them are leaning hard left now and so you really shouldn't be surprised by that next uh um, next they won't want any cops at all period well it sounds pretty close to that already i mean leaning left it sounds like they're tilting over the cliff well but anybody you know really majority of people probably aren't surprised because Uh the trend has been going that direction um I, i would not want to be a police officer without the ability uh to defend myself i mean that that would be just no disrespect but that'd be like being a security guard that just wears a shirt but has no way to defend themselves. Right. stop or i'll yell stop again right 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 or pull out their imaginary gun <laughs> right that's exactly right unfortunately those people that attack institutions don't play with imaginary guns that's they, right. they that's use right. the real deal and they go in for you know they go in for as much damage as they can cause and and as we've heard on dave's show many times before he's had ed monk uh, on here who is a both a law enforcement officer and a firearms training instructor uh, and brilliant at it i might add uh that look the the time that it takes for earnest cops to show up to a 911 call is 6 9 12 minutes do you know how much carnage happens during that it's uncountable but not literally it's quite countable and it's quite tragic as well so you have an opportunity, basically, for a free cop. You know, it's like winning It's like a winning a lottery ticket. Hey, here's a free cop to show up to your place of business, to your school, to offer protection for free. And they say, no, thank you. Kind of leaves you speechless. It really does. It really does. We're going to come back to this. But let's talk about what you've got for us uh, today, Senator. Uh, I see you have there a stack of bills uh, I take it you want to share some with me, and let's let's talk about them. Uh, I know that Dave has been talking with you quite a bit about uh, free speech on campus, uh, and I uh, understand there's another senator as well, um, uh, uh, Sullivan, uh, who's also interested in introducing, or is a state rep, excuse me, uh, introducing uh, some legislation on free speech on campus uh, because it's um, it, it, it's really um, about time, right? It's about time that we start to have uh, rational debates about debates on campus. And that's the problem uh, that we have uh, um, uh, today. The left has taken over uh, all types of education, and they are not willing to allow conservative views to be discussed by students or faculty. Let's see here. So we have a bill here. 
that you're proposing to introduce. And it would, um, oh, this is interesting. This is a very interesting bill. Uh, you, this has been done in California, folks, 10, over 10 years ago, I want to say. You say, California, that's a liberal state. Yeah, but this idea was by ballot, by citizens, and they voted in that you cannot have preferential treatment for any group in hiring and admissions in anything pursuant to the go- uh, th- that's done by the government. You will be hired on your merit. You will be admitted on your merit because guess what we consider? Merit. I love these leftist thinking academics who tell me, oh, I'm not, uh, um, I don't believe in notions of merit. Merit. It's all make-believe. It's all part of the landed aristocracy telling you what you must do or some other nonsensical theory made up to justify their preferential treatment systems. So here, Senator Hammer walks in with a proposal. Guess what? We're only going to consider merit going forward. California did it a decade ago. A decade ago. And there are uh, they are as left as it comes. Because merit is what counts. Oh, and so I started to tell you, I love these academics. Oh, there's no such thing as merit. Do you give exams? Yes. Do you grade them? Yes. Do you give out grades in your class? Yes. Is there such a thing, thing as merit? No. What? What? So what was that whole exercise you do with the students? How is it that you give out grades? How is it that you grade exams? How is it that you can tell a difference in quality among students if there's no such thing as merit? Oh, well, I can tell. It's just that nobody else can tell. That's how delusional these leftists are. They're so inside their own head. Anything that they do, oh, well, that's okay. Anything else, that's not okay. Let's get your thoughts on bringing Arkansas up to speed on considering merit in giving out state contracts and admissions in public schools. 501-823-0965-101.1 FM, the answer. Should we go to commercials, Zach? We're going to go to commercial, and we'll be back with Senator Kim Hammer. And this is Robert Steinbuck filling in for Dave today. As you know, I am here with Senator Kim Hammer. I'm looking at the next one of his proposed bills. It is absolutely brilliant, Kim. We've got here a bill that, uh, let me read you the title. And I think this is going to tell folks what's important. And by the way, we're going to come back to this topic of this uh, law enforcement officer. We've got a little bit more information for you now. Uh, This is an act, I'm quoting now, to require campus free speech policies and for other purposes, uh, and to require campus free speech policies. I guess that's the same thing. And so we have here a bill that says campuses must allow free speech. This is exactly the opposite of what we were just talking about at the opening of the show that was going on in Texas. Texas had a bunch of policies that, well, we're going to tell you if you're biased. We're going to tell you if you're offensive. We're going to, Zach, what were the other things they were telling me? How evil was I, Zach? Do you remember? <laughs> you weren't evil at all. <laughs> oh, I'm telling you, they hate me, Zach. Uh, and so we're going to tell you what's right and what's wrong, what you can watch on TV, what you can read on the internet, what you can text to somebody, what you can put up on social media. Oh, trust me, 
The schools are looking at your social media, your private, personal social media. And this is a bill, as I read it today, that says, butt out. Stop telling people how to think. Allow free expression. Let me tell you, every senator and representative in Arkansas that supports free expression and free speech will have my support. And those that don't will hear from me every day. Now, you might say, who the heck are you? Nobody. Nobody. I'm nobody special. But guess what? There are a lot of people like me. And together, you know what we're called? The electorate. And we'll boot your butt out of office if you don't support free speech. And what do we have here? We've got a bill from Senator Kim Hammer that says free speech is preeminent. It doesn't say, I only want to hear conservative speech because I'm a conservative. I only want to hear Christian speech because I'm a Christian. I only want to hear uh, um, uh, um, local speech because I'm from whatever town and I don't even know where Kim lives. I'm from. It says we want all speech. Bad speech, good speech, any speech. Why? Because you don't get to decide what's good and bad. People get to say whatever they want to say, and if you think they're idiots, guess what? Tell them they're idiots. Wait, you can't say that, Zach. That's offensive. That's rude. That's uncivil. That's uncollegial. That's democracy, folks. That's America, folks. That's the First Amendment, folks. You know why it's the First Amendment? Because it's first. Because it's the most important. The team that comes in first is the best. The amendment that comes in first is the most important. And by the way, don't forget what comes second. The Second Amendment, folks. And we're going to talk about that, too, because uh, Senator Hammer, at the same time, handed me another bill. And that bill would, would expand the powers of concealed carry holders in Arkansas. That's right. Those people that have gone through testing, that have paid money, that have done a background check, that have gotten a fingerprint check, and it will allow them to carry openly and concealed. Now, you might say, wait a second. The law allows you to carry open. That was Act, I think, 563. Pardon me if I don't get the number right, but I think that's right. That's right. And you know what this is? Belt and suspenders. This is another bill that's going to ensure that issue because there was some ambiguity about that. And rather than being the guy that's got to litigate that case, Senator Kim Hammer wants to clear that up and say, guess what? We'll just clear it up. We'll just put in legislation that'll clear that up. This way, if you've got a concealed carry license, carry concealed, carry it open. Or if you're concealed and somehow it becomes inadvertently displayed, don't worry. We got you covered. We got you covered. Because this is Arkansas. You know, folks, you know that I'm from New York originally, long time ago. I've lived since I have gone off to college for the longest time in one place, Arkansas. And it's no accident that I came to a place like Arkansas. There are other places like Arkansas, but there's no accident that I came to a place like Arkansas because I believe in the conservative values of a place like Arkansas. And so I marched with my feet. I voted with my feet. I went to a place that has values that agree with mine. And one of those values is the ability to defend myself if I choose to do so. No one's forced to carry a gun. No one's forced to bear arms. But if you want to, guess what? 
there's that old, dusty, non-living document called the U.S. Constitution. And it says, you get to do that. And people like Senator Hammer know that. And they put into place important legislation that implements that Second Amendment. That makes it secure in the minds of the citizenry and in the law itself. And this bill that Senator Hammer has proposed or has shown me will be introducing, I take it, uh, shortly, is another good example of that. Kim, what are you hearing from your voters, from your electorate on issues of free speech and on issues of the Second Amendment? And I use the Second Amendment, of course, to apply both federally and state, even though in the state it's actually not number two, but that's okay. With regards to the free speech um one thing that that bill does is it protects the interest of people on both sides of the center line and those standing on the center line. And I think that's what people want. They just want to know that if they're going to express their opinion, and that applies to, and part of what got this bill motivated, because the one thing I hear most from my citizens are the ones that are going to college and are sitting in a classroom and their professor Uh, utilizes that position of authority over them to limit their ability to disagree with them. And I know, you know, from the district that I represent, uh, that sounds totally foreign that that would happen. But when you get removed from the the safety of where, you know, where I represent and and you get put in those environments at various universities, uh, that's a real threat. And I've had too many of the students come back and say, hey, you know, I, I want to disagree with my professor uh, and, and you would think there were things already in place that would have provided safeguard, but there's not enough in place to give them that ultimate safeguard. In the First Amendment speech, uh, as you mentioned a while ago, it's at the top of the list for a reason because everything else applies after that. So our forefathers were, were pretty smart that they put that at the top of the food chain. That's the one big thing I'm hearing back. So what that bill's intended to do. Now, as a conservative, that creates equal latitude for those that are not conservative but as long as the rules are fair and as long as the as long as the ground is level may the best side and best argument win i think we got the best side i think we got the best argument undoubtedly wait wait, wait kim i don't understand you want to allow liberals to speak freely as well as conservatives but they already are huh they already they are. are. They're just of taking. Of course, it, they are. They they are taking advantage of what's exactly. in position, and what this bill does is say, "That's fine. You want to say that, but I get equal right protected under the law to say the same thing. And if you use your position of power over me as a as a professor over a student and a grade or semester class is dependent upon it, now I've got latitude to say no. I've got the right to it, and it and it." It enforces it with some stick. It's not just carrots, yes. but it's also stick in indeed, there. Indeed. And of course, I was being facetious, as you well know. But that's the point here. It's really, truly remarkable that conservatives are the one that said, no, we want everybody to speak. We're not looking to shut up the liberals. We're not looking to shut up the leftists. But, you know, the problem yes, with conservatives, conservatives have a problem in that they think that just because we're conservatives, we shouldn't allow the left to speak the best thing that a conservative do is get into a room and let a left-minded person speak because they win the autom- they Absolutely. they win the argument automatically if they're in a room of reasonable-minded people if you're in a room full that are not reasonable-minded you lost the argument whether you win or not it's already lost we That's just right. want to level the playing field amen brother and and i think you raise an important point we do have some conservatives who are uh, are not open to uh hearing liberal speech but i think it's a minority 
I think the majority of conservatives are open to all speech, but I think the majority, the vast majority of leftists are not. And that's been flipped. The history is really ironic because it was the left that was in the minority. I guess maybe that's why they were open to diversity of speech and they had the free speech movement. Uh, and now that they are in power in academia, they've decided that they don't want to hear from anybody else and they should be the only ones who speak at all on campus. And it's really, it's just a tragedy. And so we're going to go in just a moment to SRN News and then we'll be back to talk more about this right now. 101.1 FM, The Answer, The Dave Ellswick Show, and I am... Robert Steinbuck filling in for Dave. I have with me Kim Hammer, Senator, State Senator, will be with us for the next few minutes. Uh, and we've, he's handed me a stack of bills that I'm working my way through. I'm underwater, Kim. It's so many bills here. I love it. This is an attempt to right the wrong, to bring rationality to insanity. You talk about civility. UT is worried about civility. I'll give you civility. I'm trying to get the crazy out of government. And how do we get the crazy out of government? With good conservative legislators like Kim Hammer. So Kim hands me a bill. This is an Arkansas bill. This is a bill that if you oppose this bill, you should not be in the legislature. A bill to train students in public schools on the use of firearms. That's right. That's right. To train students on their Second Amendment right to use firearms. That's a good idea. Everybody should know how to defend themselves. Everybody should know what the Second Amendment, Second Amendment is about in practice, in reality. This is not some left leaning academic exercise, pick up a gun, point it at a target, know how to handle it, know where not to point it, and put it back down after you shot it. God bless America. God bless Arkansas. That's what this bill is about. It's about time. It's about time. And at the same time, he has a bill that wants to expand the definition of domestic terrorism to include mass school shootings. Why isn't the left talking about this, Kim? Why isn't the left, they all they all they want to talk about, take away your guns, take away your guns, but they don't want to expand the penalty for mass shooting at schools. Do they want a solution, Kim, or are they just looking to hammer, no pun intended, the Second Amendment? I think that idea came actually from a constituent, and and the concept is that it would expand to include uh, mass shooting. And we're actually going to modify this bill because uh, in in discussion with people, the first question came up was, well, why didn't you have churches and why didn't you have public mm-hmm. settings like uh, concerts or malls, right? Um, right. You know those places right. to incorporate and to bring into it, um, you know the the uh, terrorism standard, which. What that does is it, it moves it to a class Y felony, mm-hmm. but it also gives a little greater latitude to where we mirror some of the federal, uh, you know, some of the federal language in order to uh, give law enforcement prosecutors uh, a greater uh, opportunity to convict those individuals using that using that higher standard. Right. Uh, so that that's the basic concept, you know, behind that one. It's brilliant and 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 perhaps obvious. 
But the left is busy trying to take away your guns instead of punishing the people that are doing the harm. But but let me be clear on one thing, because, you know, we're talking about two or three gun bills here and, and you know, let constituents are sitting out there saying, my gosh, don't y'all have anything better to do than that? Uh, and especially after the last session, you know, God bless Charlie Collins because he was a pioneer. Amen. Uh, he was also a sacrificial lamb, mm-hmm. unfortunately, mm-hmm. and, you know, have a lot of admiration uh, for, for Charlie because he brought the tough subject to the table. That's right. Um, and he got it done. Right. And and some of what I think this needs to be couched and viewed uh, and, and, and positioned to look at is this isn't so much about establishing something new as much as it is clawing back something that was taken away that's exactly right and and if you look at it from that perspective it's not that we're trying to gain new ground we're trying to take back old ground that was given away that shouldn't have been given away in the first place and unfortunately you know that's what happens when you let liberals dominate for a long period of time they eventually chip away at everything that is of value constitutionally to us so i, I don't want your listening audience to think oh my god this is going to be another uh, one of those kind of sessions these are just the common sense practical things that I think we're there as intended by the forefathers, uh, but over the years we have given away, and we're a, we're in a take back mode. And you know, when you're the majority, you ought to take back what you surrendered when you were in the minority. That's exactly right. And and so some of this is just in you know whether it's a free speech, right? Uh, the liberals have you know been driving the bus for you know when when you're driving the bus for a hundred years, you got a lot of time and a lot of opportunity to slowly erode things. Uh, but when you're in the majority, then you start to take back that ground, and hopefully. The majority of citizens will appreciate it and get behind us and support it. That's exactly right. And, and, you know, this notion that the Second Amendment didn't allow you to have a firearm is a relatively new invention, an invention of the left, I might add. And so luckily we had, oh, it's what, a dozen years ago, give or take, where we had the Heller decision and then the subsequent decision from the Supreme Court where they said states that essentially eviscerated the right to own a firearm violated the Second Amendment. But it had to go all the way to the Supreme Court to tell us what this 200-plus-year-old document says, and it says you have the right to bear arms. And that wasn't even controversial until the more recent past. Until the liberals took over. Until they started to say, well, they only had muskets back then. It doesn't say the right to bear muskets. It says the right to bear arms. And, you know, the point you just made, I think, emphasizes what we're talking about. It wasn't controversial. These subjects were not controversial until the liberals got control and started taking things away, which causes you to ask the question, who is it that made it controversial? Is it the conservatives who are in a take-back mode, who are, you know, trying to claw back that which was, you know, surrendered and given away? Or is it and the fact that... Away. And taken away. Or is it the fact that the that the liberals over the years have eroded and that they are now in a position that they have to defend their actions, which they got away with for a long period of time. So who is it that's the author of confusion and who is it that's the author of controversy? It's certainly not those that are just trying to align themselves back up with any one of the constitutional points. Uh, It's those that took it away, which made it controversial now that we're trying to get it back. And this reflects this leftist idea that the Constitution is, quote, a living document. I've never heard such a bunch of of nonsense in my life. It is a piece of paper with words on it written by now dead guys. Those words are the words. That's it. There's nothing living about it. Now, some of the terms expressed in the Constitution may allow for 
more modern concepts to be brought in if it's designed that way. But if it's not designed that way, it is what it is. And the right to bear arms is quite simple. It's not the right to bear the musket. It's the right to bear arms. And Scalia, a good conservative, says that doesn't mean it's without the ability to regulate, but it does mean it's without the ability to prevent. We have the right to bear arms. You don't like it? Move to another country or, let's be fair, or get enough votes to amend the United States Constitution. It's been amended a couple of dozen plus times, right? Now, the first 10 came with the Constitution, so those numbers are a little bit deceptive. But even if you subtract them out, a dozen times it's been amended. You want to change it? Change it. But if you don't like it, you don't get to ignore it. But you see, the left says, well, it's a living document. I don't even know what that means. I'm fairly well-educated, Zach, and I have no clue what that means. But I'll tell you what, I, what it means in practice. It means, oh, we're leftists. We say the document's alive, and that it whispered in our ear. Like Elijah coming to the Seder table on Passover, it whispered in our ear and told us its new meaning. And by the way, it's a secret only for us leftists. So you you conservatives who got a different view, sorry, that's somebody else talking to you. Because our ghost told us what it's saying. That's the craziness of the left today. That's the problem with the left today. Before Senator Hammer leaves, let me just... Uh, make a quick comment on a, on the final two bills uh, that he sent me. He has been known as a leader on ethics from the beginning time in the government. And let's be frank, folks. We've had some problems with the state legislature. I'm not going to name names, but we've had some problems. So I think we need to shore up some of the ethics uh, rules and laws that apply to state legislators and state government actors. Yes, it's about it, it's time, given what we've seen. And so Senator Hammer has a bill to deal with that. Thank goodness. And finally, we've got a bill uh, to deal with um, um, political freedom. People are allowed to have political views on the job uh, different than their bosses. And they won't be punished for that. Uh, We've seen this across the country. We've seen this be a problem where uh, government workers, government bureau hacks are shutting down the speech of employees. Now they say, oh, no, you're allowed to have your viewpoint. But we see all sorts of hinky behavior going on. So. But that, uh, that applies also within state government as well. You know, we're we're talking about. we're, we're talking about making sure that anybody that's a state employee has the ability uh, to to share and express their ideas with anybody, right. um, including a legislator. Exactly. And if that freedom is imposed upon, uh, then those that have given that decree that they can't speak, you know, to their elected officials, I think need because that's that's not doing anything, uh, but just 
it's just creating a, a cloud that we don't want to have over us that if if somebody wants to talk to me as a legislator or you know talk to anybody in in a position maybe you know maybe in a, uh, a law enforcement capacity for that matter expand exactly. it exactly. you know why would you want to not let somebody talk to somebody if you identify that there is a issue or there is a a problem it used to be the whistleblower act that's right. uh, some of that's been a little bit limited by you know by the court ruling that's right uh, so we need to enhance the ability to keep everything transparent out in the light and uh, let's just have good clean ethical government that's right you know it's no accident that when the government was fighting against uh, um the whistleblower act and fighting for sovereign immunity and won that matter in terms of what the Arkansas Constitution says, and it says whatever it says, and the court interpreted however it interpreted, that the byproduct of that was that state government actors were able to shut down the Whistleblower Act. So I, I know for a fact that a number of things you're working on are designed to make sure we get the types of protections for state employees that were originally in the Whistleblower Act, but provided in a different method now to comply with the Arkansas Constitution, given the recent ruling from the state Supreme Court. Senator Hammer, it's always an honor, always a pleasure to have you um, uh, uh, come in, uh, and we look forward to see the introduction of your bills, and when they get dropped, uh, give, us a, give us a call, and uh, I'm sure Dave will talk about it, and when Dave has me on uh, regularly, as he does on Mondays, uh, we will talk about them some more. Thank you, sir. Thanks, Robert. And this is Robert Steinbuck filling in for Dave Ellswick on 101.1 FM, The Answer. Folks, we got some more news for you. We got some more information. We have now discovered, indeed, that the school, the university at which that police officer attends, I'm not sure the grammar was that great on that, the school that that police officer attends, is a public university. So when I was saying, let's get the presidents of the universities on the horn, let's get the governor on the horn, let's get the AG on the horn, amen! How is it that we have a public university in the state of Arkansas telling a cop, no thank you, move along, nothing to see here, We don't need you. We don't want you. Have a nice day. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? These leftists don't want this law-abiding, law-enforcing official legally entitled to carry a gun 24-7, concealed, unconcealed, on his side, on his back, on his chest, in his hand, on his leg, but not at our school, says this bureau hack from some left-leaning state university funded with your taxpayer dollars. Your taxpayer dollars are being paid to some bureau hack to tell this law enforcement officer, we don't want you. We don't want you. 501-823-0965. If you have any information about this travesty of justice, give us a call. 501-823-0965.
800-848-9565. Folks, let's talk some more about guns. We talked a little with Senator Hammer. We've been talking about how these bureau hacks at some state-funded public university don't want law enforcement officers carrying their guns on campus. The New York Times recently did a story, and it tells us the facts, and the facts are roughly 40,000 Americans are killed with firearms every year. Now, that's a big number. That's a big number. That's a number to be concerned about. The number of deaths, that is. But let's have a little bit of perspective here. And this is what I said at the top of the show when I said we're going to talk about guns. This is what I wanted to talk about before we were, I would say, sidetracked, but that's not an accurate term. Main tracked. This whole show we're going to be talking about this main track travesty of what's going on at our public universities. But more broadly... 40,000 deaths a year from firearms. It's a big number. You know what the left says? Ban firearms. You know how many deaths, Zach, we have from cars every year in the U.S.? Not sure. Yeah, roughly 40,000. Have you heard the left saying we should ban cars? No! No! And they say, well, but, you know, you got to have a car because you got to go get your frappe latte at Starbucks on your way to uh, the uh, local public radio station that you work on, funded by tax dollars to propagate liberal ideas to a conservative population. So we got to have our cars. We can't restrict our cars. And by the way, 40,000 deaths from cars, those are obviously uh, almost entirely 99% plus. Those are accidents, right? I mean, they're tragic. They're absolutely tragic, but they're accidents. So we said, well, what do we call gun deaths? Well, did you know well over half of them are suicides? Now, those are tragic, but because someone who by definition has some mental disturbance and decides to commit suicide means to the left that you and I shouldn't be able to own a gun or carry a gun or be a law enforcement and go to a public university and wear your gun in uniform. That's right. That's right. That's the inconvenient truth, if I may borrow a term from our former vice president. The inconvenient truth is that the significant majority of gun deaths are suicides. Tragic as they may be, we don't make policy about whether or not, or at least we shouldn't make policy, about whether or not you and I could carry a gun or own a gun for self-defense because disturbed people are using those guns against themselves. If they use them against themselves, don't you think they'll find another way to kill themselves? Don't you think that's not the basis to ban or not ban guns? A significant majority are using the guns against themselves. It's really a tragedy on both fronts, folks. A tragedy of these, uh, for these people and a tragedy for us. And to break, we go to the news. 
And this is Robert Steinbuck filling in for Dave Ellswick. I should have mentioned before, I'll mention now, of course, that my views are mine alone and do not reflect uh, those of anybody else, even myself sometimes. In any event, let's move on. Uh, there was a very interesting article in the New York Times a few days back uh, about the, the Women's March. You may recall the Women's March that happened uh, after uh, President Trump got elected and they wore those uh, goofy hats. Uh, I'm not going to say what they call those hats, but uh, I, I think you know uh, what they are. Uh, in any event, more power to them. You can march if you want to march. I've got no problem with it. You can express whatever views. Listen, I'm all about free speech. You want to wear hats shaped like female body parts? Knock yourself out. You want to wear hats shaped like male body parts? Knock yourself out. I don't care. Maybe we should get one of each and we can couple them together. I don't know what that would be like. Uh, but in any event, marches are great. Free speech is great. Bad speech is great. Good speech is even better. So you say, well, bad speech is great. Yeah, because we have to have a conversation. And we know there are people with bad ideas and who say bad things. Say it, and then we can respond. Don't put them in a hole. Don't tell them they're not allowed to think. Don't tell them they're not allowed to talk. Well, guess what? The leftists are eating themselves again. Here's the title of the article in the New York Times, which I read regularly. I still do, but it is not, it is not the paper I grew up on. And we'll talk more about that. Women's March Roiled by Accusations of Anti-Semitism. Anti-Semitism. Anti-Jewish attitudes. You are going to lose it when you hear some of the things in this article. Absolutely amazing. So they get this coalition, this group of women together, and they decide they're going to do this march. Great. Knock yourself out. I'm going to read some excerpts from the article. Uh, Tamika Mallory, who is now co-president of the Women's March Group, has been criticized for attending an event by Louis Farrakhan, the leader of the Nation of Islam, who's been widely reviled for making anti-Semitic remarks. That's right. So one of the leaders already comes in with a checkered past. Now, if she disavows those views... I will say, you know, just because you listen to somebody doesn't mean you subscribe. So, but we're, but I'm cautious. I'm concerned. And then we have a quote from, um, uh, let's see, I think it's from, yes, from Ms. Mallory, Tamika Mallory. And she says, since that conversation, we've all learned a lot about how while white Jews as white people uphold white supremacy, all Jews are targeted by, I guess, anti-Semitism. Uphold white supremacy. Because you're white, you uphold white supremacy. I'm white. I don't uphold white supremacy. Let me let you in a little secret. I do not uphold white supremacy. You know what we call it when you decide people's actions based on their color? We call that racism. My father lived under Nazi occupation and then Soviet rule. My mother's family fled Nazi Germany shortly before the war. My father spent the war in 
the Soviet satellite of Kazakhstan. My father lived in a displaced persons camp run by the Americans in Germany after the war, because as he said it, if you wanted to live after World War II, you went to where the Americans were. You went to where the Americans were. My fam, my parents emigrated to the U.S., and my parents traveled to the South, and my father insisted on going into the, the, the bathroom that was labeled for blacks. He, I, he told me he wasn't even sure what it meant, but he started to go into the, la- the bathroom labeled for blacks, and they told him, no, you don't go there, and he thought they were going after him. He said, I'll go there because I want to go there. Is that white privilege? Is he part of the privileged few? This notion of labeling whites as oppressors, labeling whites as, quote, privileged because of the color of their skin, telling us that we shouldn't listen to their commentary because of their color of because of the color of their skin. That's racism, folks. Racism from the left. And you know what they tell you? Oh, well, we can't commit racism. We're not white. Only whites can commit racism. Oh, isn't that convenient? Like the church lady from Saturday Night Live will tell you. Isn't that convenient? You've defined yourself out of racism. Let me tell you, I've spoken to plenty of people of color who've said, absolutely, there's racism within, within communities of color. Absolutely. You don't have to be white to be a racist. You don't have to be non-white to be a racist. You don't have to be uh, non-white to be a victim of racism. These are acts. These are not character uh, 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 that reflects the color of your skin. So this is what I say to the left. Cut it out. Cut it out. Now we see... We see this anti-Semite speech in the women's movement telling a Jewish woman, well, you're Jewish, so I guess that kind of makes you a minority, but you're also white, so maybe it's like some episode of Star Trek where there's anti-matter and matter, and you're going to explode, because I don't know how to separate from you the racist white and the non-racist Jew, right? This is the crazy that has overcome the left. If you're white, well, you're inherently racist. You're the beneficiary of privilege. I remember when I was young, and let me tell you, people had it a lot worse than I did when I was young. But we grew up working class, folks. Now, that's not poverty. I'm not claiming poverty. But it's working class. It's every morning when you come downstairs to get ready for school and have breakfast that my mother opens up the oven and turns it on to heat the kitchen because there's not enough heat in the house. The house doesn't retain the heat. Oh, we had food on the table. Maybe not always the richest food, but we had food on the table. And that's better than many and worse than many others as well. Working class, that's what we were. We weren't poor, we weren't middle class, and we certainly weren't rich. But according to these crazies on the left, it's all the same because of the color of my skin. Racism, folks, 
That's what that is. Racism, pure and simple. I mean, I'm just amazed how these people uh, um, uh, continue on this claim and no one calls them out. And by these people, oh, I'm waiting for it. The the phone's going to start ringing. These people, I mean these people on the left. Black, white, yellow, purple, I don't care. The left seems to think that people should be judged by the color of their skin. That's right. This uh, uh, Rubel, Ms. Rubel, reading from the article again, a central organizer of the march says she agrees that white women, including Jews, should grapple with their racial privilege. Oh, I'm grappling, folks. I'm grappling with the nonsense that makes up that sentence. The nonsense that makes that up. She put out a call, says the article, for women of color to join the planning team and was connected with Ms. Mallory. That's Tamika Mallory that we talked about a moment ago and this other uh, woman, Ms. Perez. At the first meeting, Ms. Rubel said they seemed to want to educate her about a dark side of Jewish history and told her that Jewish people played a large role in the slave trade and the prison industry. Are you kidding me? Why don't you just say the the anti-Semitic trope that they control the banks and the media while you're at it? That's anti-Semitism. Were there Jews involved in, in, in bad things? I'm sure there were. Have there been minorities involved in bad things? Absolutely as well. Guess what? There, there are people from, from every group doing everything, good and bad alike. And you don't judge the people by the color of their skin. I mean, is this a hard concept to grapple with? But you see, this is what we've been talking about from the beginning of today's show. The left wants academia to be able to talk about all things. Left of center, that is. The left wants to tell you about racism, all things, as long as it's for conservatives or white people. They define out themselves from any culpability, any responsibility, any shared governance in terms of democracy. It's you, you, you are bad, bad, bad. That's the left. And we, 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 we're great. We're angels. Never mind that we often don't believe in any divinity, but put that aside. You're free not to. I mean that sincerely, by the way. I really do. I happen to believe in God, but you don't want to believe in God? Knock yourself out. No problem. But we're angels, says the left. We can do no wrong. So we define ourselves out of discrimination. We define ourselves out of censorship and we just say these things apply to you, people on the right. It's really insane. One of the leaders said, I'm reading from the article again. uh, She said she was told by one of the march leaders that, quote, we really couldn't center Jewish women in this the march, that is, or we might turn off groups like Black Lives Matters. 
while Black Lives Matter, still the article, is a diffuse movement, some activists have issued settle- statements rather expressing solidarity with Palestinians under Israeli occupation. So let's, let's reflect on what's being said here, and then we'll go to a commercial thereafter so you can think about it. We have people in the Women's March saying, well, you know, we don't want to offend anybody by putting Jews in prominent positions. You know when I heard that? I heard that when Jesse Owens wanted to run in the Olympics uh, uh, in Germany when Hitler was ruling Germany. And they said, well, Jesse, you know, you're the best runner. We don't care that you're black. We wouldn't care if you're white. You're the best runner and we should run you. But we don't want to offend Hitler. Gosh knows we don't want to offend anybody. That's the left. Remember, they're the offense police. Let's not offend Hitler. That's the view on the left. And they told him he can't run. He can't run. He was the best, best man for the job. Merit meant that Jesse should have run. We don't want to offend Hitler. That's the view of the left today. And this is Robert Steinbuck filling in for Dave Ellswick here on 101.1 FM, The Answer. Folks, remember the call in number 501-823-0965. There is a fantastic story in the Dem Gaz, the Democrat Gazette today, uh, written by Lisa Hammersley. And it's fantastic because it talks about the Freedom of Information Act. It's fantastic because it discusses important issues in our state. And I dare say it's fantastic because it quotes yours truly. That doesn't hurt. Right, Zach? It doesn't hurt. Zach's nodding his head in disbelief, I I assure you, folks. So let's get to the article and then talk about and expand upon some of the topics contained therein. By the way, Lisa Hammersley is a longtime reporter for the Dem Gaz, and she does significant project stories. Uh, She's there, you know, like the... Um, Woodward and Bernstein of the Democrat Gazette. I mean that. She's been there a long time. That paper has gone through some tough times in, in today's day and age when it comes to print media. And she's, she's stuck it uh, through. Is that the right way to say it? I don't know. Um, and she does some really fantastic work uh, along with many others over there. So uh, the article reads, for the first time, A new state-appointed brain trust will weigh in on proposed changes to Arkansas's Freedom of Information Act at the same time the General Assembly meets and votes on the legislation. The Arkansas Freedom of Information Task Force, and I'm on it, folks, and you'll see in a moment that in the article, is in charge of making recommendations on bills that would affect the state public records and open meetings law. Folks, as you know, that's the law that allows you to ask various local and state agencies. Hey, can I look at the public documents that make up what you guys do? After all, I'm paying the bills. I'm paying for it. And that's the thing that's amazing about these bureau hacks. They are offended. Uh, Wait a second. We've got work to do. We've got work to do. Yeah. On my dime. So little less talky talky, a little more worky worky. Okay, folks, back to the article. 
The group will advise whether legislators should approve the bills, revise them, or kill them. Federal and state freedom of information laws, often called sunshine laws, right, because they expose the reality, uh, grant the public access to government records and require that public business be conducted openly. The Arkansas law was adopted in 1967. 1967. The last time the Arkansas legislature met in regular session in 2017, lawmakers introduced at least a dozen bills that experts argued would weaken, in some cases gut, the state's Freedom of Information Act. We're going to have later on in the show, Joey McCutcheon, noted Arkansas attorney who deals with the FOIA, the Freedom of Information Act, uh, and he was one of those advocates against gutting the act uh, last session and will be so again. Back to the article. At least 10 bills became law last session, though two that stirred the most opposition failed to pass. And folks, thank goodness they failed to pass. And guess what the article is going to talk about? Attempts to revive those rotting corpses. Back to the article. This is the People's Law, Ellen Kreff, Task Force Chairman, Chairwoman, and publisher of the Madison County Record newspaper said of the Arkansas Freedom of Information Act. The 2017 legislative session saw a number of bills coming through that seemed very scattered. One person attacking the FOIA here, another there, she said. The task force was created in part because legislators and supporters of government transparency saw a need for a public body to review proposed changes to the public records law. People need access to information about what the government does that affects them, Kreff said. I applaud the legislature for recognizing that. There were too many bills that would damage the FOIA. That's for sure. The nine-member task force plans to meet as often as possible during the 92nd General Assembly, Kreth said. The legislative session starts January 14th. One proposed exemption to the public records law already appears to be headed for a fight. Oh, and I'm ready for it, folks! And so is Dave Ellswick! Good luck to the legislators that try to bring up bad FOIA bills because we're looking out for it. Senator Kim Hammer's going to look out for it. Dave Ellswick's going to look out for it. Mr. Producer Zach is going to look out for it. I'm going to look out for it. So don't think you're going to sneak any of these by. One proposed exemption to the public records law already appears to be headed for a fight, says the article. The Arkansas Municipal League plans to revive and revise a failed 2017 proposal. That session's Senate Bill 373, sponsored by Senator Bart Hester of Cave Springs. The bill proposed keeping from the public eye government attorneys' communications and work products in, quote, pending or threatened litigation, end quote. Opponents said that broad exemption would have allowed government agencies to hide thousands of records that ought to be public. That's right! The new proposal will be narrower, the Municipal League promises. I'm not holding my breath, but even if it is, oh, we'll talk about that horror show. Quote, we're a longstanding proponents of the FOIA, end quote, said Executive Director Mark Hayes of the Municipal League. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know what? I, I, I can't even finish the paragraph. Zach, I can't even finish the paragraph. That's how ridiculous it is. We're long-standing proponents of the We're long-standing proponents of killing the FOIA, is what that quote should say. Long-standing proponents of the FOIA. Oh, my God. I, I th- Zach, I think I just threw up in my mouth a little bit. I, I, I need something to drink here. I just threw up in my mouth a little bit. 
because private attorneys are allowed to keep confidential their work working documents during a lawsuit. Government paid attorneys should have that same right, he said. Right. First of all, it ain't no right. There's no right. The right, the only right that's at play here, and I'm not even finished with the article yet, the only right that's at play is the right of the public to know how their money is being spent and often wasted. That's the only right that is at play. That's why you have a Freedom of Information Act, for the right of the public, not the right of the bureau hacks. There is no right of the bureau hacks. There's only the rights of the public, of the taxpayers, of you, Joe Citizen. We're going to continue with this discussion of this important article after this break. Two three zero nine six five. If you have any thoughts on free speech, if you have any thoughts on the Second Amendment, if you have any thoughts on this travesty that we've recently learned about, that a public university is preventing a law enforcement officer from carrying his gun in uniform on campus, give us a call. We were talking before the break about the outstanding article in the Democrat Gazette about the FOIA task force on which I serve, and I'm reading you excerpts of that article, and we've just gotten to the juicy part. So let's dive back in. So according to the Municipal League, hold on, let me grab my box of tissue, Zach, to cry for the government bureau hacks with their feet up on their desk working from 9.30 to 4.30 with their an hour 15 minute break on their government funded salaries. Hold on. He says private lawyers ask for and receive government attorneys' working papers, including legal strategies, under the Arkansas Freedom of Information Act. Nobody's asking to hide anything, he says. It's just a question of fair play. Boo-hoo is what I say to that. Hay says the Municipal League's proposed exception to the Freedom of Information Act would apply only to pending lawsuits and would expire when litigation ends. Here it comes, folks. Wait for it. Robert Steinbuck, a UALR professor, my views are my views alone, by the way, and co-author of the Arkansas Freedom of Information Act reference book. That's right, folks. The book that discusses and and devours and dissects and examines and explains the Arkansas Freedom of Information Act views this government bureau hacks proposal somewhat differently, says the article. Sands the Bureau hack reference. Quote, quoting me, who better to quote? They're trying to revive the rotting corpse of SB 373 from last session, Steinbuck said, and their actions will be seen as a transparent attempt to further advantage City Hall against Joe Citizen. Government lawyers have advantages in lawsuits against private entities, he said. That's me! The government side is armed with virtually bottomless tax revenue to pay for litigation and attorney salaries while private clients and their lawyers usually work with limited resources. It's a job of government agencies to turn over documents, Steinbuck said. If they're willing to fund the litigation on the other side, meaning the private side, with taxpayer dollars, 
and unlimited budget for attorneys for the other side, then we can start, start that is, talking about leveling the playing field. And that's the point, folks. The saying is, this is the article, you can't fight City Hall. Not you can't fight a private plaintiff. It's because City Hall is inundated with advantages, Steinbuck said. That's the point, folks. City Hall has your money. And they take your money when you sue them and they use your money to defend your lawsuit. So if you sue government, you pay two attorneys. You pay for your attorney and you pay for the government's attorney. And in exchange, we ask for very little. But amongst those things that we ask for in exchange for the unlimited resources that these government bureau hacks have in litigating against Joe Citizen is the ability to use the Freedom of Information Act to get public documents. They say, oh, well, you can get any document you want except any of the documents relevant to the litigation. Wait, what? Wait, what? Except any of the documents over which there might be a controversy? Wait, what? What'd you say there? You almost slipped that one by. Well, we just want to... They're up on the top of the mountain preaching down to the populace and they say to the population, folks, folks, folks. That's the echo from the mountain after all. Folks, folks, folks. We just want, want, want a level, level, level playing, playing field. Level playing field. Come off the mountain. Turn in your government bureau hack salary. Turn in the advantages that City Hall has so embedded that the saying that has been around time immemorial is you can't fight City Hall, not you can't fight the little guy. Are you kidding me? We want a level playing field? Start writing checks, government pure hacks, if you want a level playing field. That's how you get a level playing field. You help the little guy. You don't give more advantages to the bureau hacks. And by the way, folks, there are a few legislators, including, I dare say it, Republicans who are captured by the bureau hacks. And they're going to be introducing bills this session like they did last session, to gut your ability as an Arkansas citizen to look at public records. Oh, we're in litigation. No more looky-looky. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? These, what amazes me and what I saw last session, Zach, was... These government bureau hacks showed up to the legislature on the government dime during working hours. And they didn't put in for leave time. So you, Zach, and you, the listening audience, are paying the salaries of these government bureau hacks to traipse down to the legislature And come before the legislature with cup in hand, ringing the bars. Oh, more food, please. We need more help. Our jobs are so tough. We show up wearing our little uh, um, sleepwear. Our jobs are so tough. 
we would like you, the legislature, to write a law to make our jobs easier. I kid you not, folks. There were government bureau hacks that showed up to the legislature making six-figure salaries. That's right. $140,000, $190,000 saying our job is too tough given the state of the Freedom of Information Act. The law that's been around for 50 years, but somehow the government's going to collapse now that they have to comply with it. For 50 years, it was okay. But now, my goodness, there's no level playing field. No level playing field? 50 years it's been like this. And no level playing field. Are you kidding me? So we're paying them, get this folks, we're paying them to come down and beg for less work. And we're paying them $150,000, sometimes a little less, sometimes a lot more, to beg the legislature to enact a law to make their jobs easier. And at the same time, to prevent your ability as Joe Citizen. And Joanne, citizen, to see public records. Are you kidding me? You know, there's, as I've mentioned on the show, I've mentioned before, I'm from New York, I'm Jewish, and there's, there's a, a, a phrase, a word, in, there was a language that was spoken by Jews in Europe. It was called Yiddish. Sometimes it was called Jewish. It was a combination of mostly German, some other languages written with the Hebrew lettering, really an odd language. Um, but it's a rich language. And there's a word called chutzpah. And there's a word called chutzpah, and it means you got some set. You've got some set. I'll let you fill in the blank as to what the set is. That's what these people have. Um, You know what? We've got calling in my good friend, former U.S. attorney for the state of Utah, Brett Tolman. And Brett is uh, an advocate of, um, uh, uh, how should we say it, Of, of prison reform, of criminal justice reform. And Brett's unique character is that, or characteristic is, he was the the prosecutor, the federal prosecutor for the entire state of Utah. And he's going to talk to us about what we need to do to reform our criminal justice system. Brett, it's an honor and a, a privilege and a pleasure to have you on the show today. How are you, my friend? I'm great, Rob. Great to be with you. So, Brett, tell us a little bit, tell my audience, or Dave's audience, really, as you know, I'm guest hosting for Dave Ellswick here on 101.1 FM, The Answer. Tell uh, the audience a little bit about your background, your experience as a trial attorney. You might even share that joke. Um, And tell us uh, uh, your views on uh, prison reform and your your views on criminal justice reform as informed by your background. Well, it's, it's an honor to be on with you. And, and, you know, Rob and I had a longstanding joke that um, there were there were some folks that were trial lawyers. And, and uh, I remember that um, I believe we referred to uh, 
to an individual who had even just one trial could still be called a trial lawyer. If that's, if that's accurate. Yeah, and, and, and Brett liked to suggest that when I worked for the government, I, I did mostly federal appeals, so I didn't do that much trial work. Uh, and Brett liked to suggest that my relatively limited trial work, as compared to my appellate work, uh, barely qualified me as a trial attorney. And as I pointed out to Brett... It didn't didn't say trials attorney. It just said trial attorney. <laughs> <laughs> well, but, that's exactly right. Um, look, I I have had um, you know the opportunity to be a federal prosecutor for a little over a dec- decade, and I uh, spent my fair share um, working really hard and trying to put bad guys in jail. And I thought that that was you know my calling in life, and in in some respects it was. The last case that I I did as U.S. attorney. Um, President Bush appointed me U.S. attorney, and I, I did that for almost four years from 2006 to 2010. And the last case that I, I handled personally was the um, prosecution of the kidnapper of Elizabeth Smart, wow. um, Brian David Mitchell. Wow. And, and, and he's serving a life sentence in federal prison. So I come at this with the perspective that I, I've always believed that conservatives and tough on crime law and order prosecutors uh, who've been in the system and 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 witnessed that there are there are some problems still with the justice system, are are voices that we haven't heard. And so my my goal was to rally conservatives to actually get uh, you know a voice and uh, become you know much much more uh, a part of what I saw as very much needed criminal justice reform at the federal level. And, and and what are some of your conclusions? And and talk to us about this bill that just passed through Congress uh, relative to your conclusions about the types of reform that we need to put into place while being tough on crime. Uh, what's the flip side? You know, I'm here in Arkansas, and you know, our our senator, yep. one of our senators is is uh, Tom Cotton, and Tom Cotton opposed that bill. And I don't know the details of the bill. Uh, I do think our criminal justice system is in need of reform. Uh, but Tom Cotton says, and I offer this up to you for for your discussion, he says, well, uh, while I may not disagree with that, I think this bill is going to let some really bad guys out of jail sooner than they should be let out. Yeah, and, and Senator Cotton and I, you know, have gone the rounds a couple of times, and I certainly do respect that he has, he, you know, anybody can differ in opinion, but the problem I have is his opposition, it does not stem from, from facts, and it doesn't stem from an accurate analysis of the federal system. Just to put it in context, the federal system is not like the state criminal justice system. There's no parole. And if you are sentenced in the federal system, you have to serve 85% of your sentence. You can get some uh, good behavior time off, but by statute, you have to serve 85% of your sentence. Now, I, I prosecuted some folks and put them away. I, I have one that really stands out. He was a 22-year-old, and um, he, he, uh, he had basically a bad weekend, very little criminal history. Um, but because of the way drugs uh, quantities stack in the federal system, he was looking at 70 years in federal prison. Wow. And I had to get special permission to get to to offer him a 30 year plea deal. Wow. Now, what Tom Cotton is coming from is that notion that 
well, any criminal justice reform is going to result in bad guys getting out of jail. And, and here's why that's not accurate. This First Step Act modeled itself after what, what they did in Texas. And you and I both know there's, you know, there's some folks in Texas that are, that are pretty bright. And, um, you know, judges, prosecutors, but they're never accused of being soft on crime. Right. Well, Texas, they decided that they would implement a program because of the ballooning prison population and budget issues and problems and recidivism issues that they would, they would do. It's very simple, actually. They would assess the risk of recidivism and then they'd reassess the inmate during his incarceration while giving them programs, education, faith-based training, and see if they reduced their risk of recidivism. And if they did, then they would allow them early release. Brett, hold that thought. We're going to pick up after the break uh, with more on that point now. Brett, we're picking up with your thoughts about why uh, we should not be concerned uh, that under this proposal, this bill, we're going to let out dangerous folks. And you were giving a discussion of the the program that would be put in place to assess the risks. And let me play devil's advocate or maybe even not devil's advocate and say to you, but Brett, every time we let out a group of individuals uh, who are incarcerated, who pose a risk, uh, we cannot guarantee that somebody won't slip through the cracks. Isn't that right? Or you tell me why I'm wrong. No, you're, you're right. You never can have a guarantee. But what, what's fascinating is we study the states that have implemented something um, over the last several years that was new, and they did so for whatever reason, you know, whether it was budget, whether mm-hmm. it was compassion, mm-hmm. whether it was recidivism reduction, whatever it was, mm-hmm. they, they were able to see recidivism rates go down from 70% of the time they were recidivating down to 6% in some wow. instances. And in Texas, they, they closed eight prisons and wow. saved over $4 billion. Wow. So what's crazy, though, about it is what, what is really fascinating to me is Senator Cotton will say, well, they're going to get out early. Under the federal law, they have to serve 85% before the First Step Act. And even after the First Step Act, now that the president has signed it, they still have to serve 85% of their time in, in the Bureau of Prisons custody. The difference is, whereas in Texas, they just released them after they found they were a low risk of recidivism. Mm-hmm. In the federal system, they're going to go to a halfway house or home oh. confinement and then have five years of supervised release even after that. Oh, that's interesting. That's interesting. I must concede that I was unaware of that. So the amount of time that they're under control of the Bureau of Prisons is either the same or greater. It's just the level of control that they're under that changes. That's right. That's right. Because it's 40 plus thousand dollars per year to to house a, a federal inmate in the Bureau of Prisons. That's a lot of money. It's $4,000 a year if they're on home confinement and being supervised by, by, by a, a supervisor. Uh, and, and so that's why there's a lot of confidence that this bill has been done with the, the education that Texas and Georgia gave us, but utilizing the system that's unique about the federal system. And, and that's where Senator Cotton, I think it became a political you know, let's be tough on crime. And I think he was he was doing that because 
let's face it, that's that's where all of us used to be in the 80s and 90s. Is by default, you just have to be tough on crime. Um, the problem is that you can't sustain that. And and right now, we, we house about 25% of the world's incarcerated in the United States. And we can't sustain this. And so this is, this is trying to draw the best of the programs that have been utilized in the states and apply it on the federal level. That's fascinating. That really is fascinating stuff. Um, uh, uh, whether or not, and I don't know all the details, as I said, going in, whether or not you agree with this bill, or this act, I should say now, uh, yeah. the, the, the current system is not working well. And so we need to consider okay. changes. And I, I want to talk more about this. If you still have a few minutes, we're going to go to a hard break uh, shortly uh, in half a minute. Uh, and then after the, the news, we'll come back to you and get some final thoughts from you on what you see as how this is going to roll out and what you think are the next steps that we should be considering. So think about that. Uh, listen to the news that we're playing. Uh, and on that, we are going to um, shift over to the uh, SRN News uh, uh, broadcast right now. And this is Robert Steinbuck filling in for Dave. We're talking with Brett Tolman, former United States Attorney for the state of Utah, and now advocate for criminal justice reform. Brett, so tell us, now that the act has been enacted, uh, the Prison Reform Act, what's going to change? What's going to happen? And finally, what's next on the agenda? So right now, Department of Justice will have to take this uh, act, and uh, they'll they have a certain uh, time frame in which they have to come up with that risk assessment. They also ha- will have a, a um, establish a panel of individuals that will be doing those uh, assessments and reassessments. And then there's a few other provisions that have to be. Um, there were some changes to some of the laws, federal laws where there were malfunctions, uh, uh, unintended consequences of the way that the statutes were, all of those will get sorted out. They'll, they'll put their, you know, their legal scholars on it and figure out the best path forward so that they implement now the new law uh, appropriately. But, you know, like its title, it says first step, and it does so for a reason. Um, there are several things that still have to be addressed. Um, one that I know you're very well aware of and, and that's the use, uh, Rob, of, of civil asset forfeiture, mm-hmm. um, where it may not be a conviction. Um, the government's still been seizing and keeping people's uh, uh, assets and, and using civil asset forfeiture statutes. And so those really need to be uh, analyzed. And, and um, I mean, let's face it, we, we don't convict someone unless it's beyond a reasonable doubt because of, you know, strong Fourth, Fifth, and Sixth Amendment protections, but we have been taking their property even when they've been acquitted. Yeah, it's um, terrible under the civil act. No, I think it's terrible. I think as a general matter, uh, I'm sure exceptions can be found, but as a general matter, uh, if the criminal justice system is going after you and they're going after your property, it's all one ball of wax, and we need. <laughs> to uh, evaluate that on the tough standard. It's designed to be a tough standard, the standard of beyond a reasonable doubt. And are yeah, some people going to get away with wrongdoing? That's right. That's right. But what's the alternative? We're making sure that the innocent aren't punished. That's right. That's and that's more important 
We always say, you know, we pay false homage, I fear, to the phrase uh, that we will let 10 guilty go free to ensure that one innocent is not convicted. I I think that is honored more in the breach than it is in reality. And I think that's unfortunate. And and I, yeah, I applaud yeah. people like Scalia when he changed some technical rules that the audience shouldn't even bother trying to understand. But technical rules regarding evidence and, of course, the Constitution and the right to confront witnesses <laughs> against you. Right. And he said, right. hey, the way we've been doing this all along is wrong. And even though it, <laughs> even though it puts guilty people in jail, it also may put innocent people in jail. And that's not what the Constitution is designed to do, and I'm fixing it. And it takes people like Scalia to say that. We need, as conservatives, to be as worried, if no, indeed more worried, about putting innocent people in jail than we are about putting guilty people in jail. I want the guilty people in jail, but not at the expense of innocent people in jail. That's right. I mean, that's, that's why Mike Lee, Senator Lee, has said for a long time, I'm I'm involved in criminal justice reform, not in spite of being a conservative, but because I am a conservative Mm -hmm. and we should be we should be focused on on what the government does more than anybody else. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh, And especially in the criminal justice arena. So I I wholeheartedly agree with exactly what you just said. And I would like to see more judges who are willing not to be statists. You know, the best judge, the best conservative judge is most concerned of all the many concerns that conservatives judges and all judges should have the most concern they should be is with government overreach why because it's by far the biggest player in the room and so when you meet a good conservative judge he's concerned about government overreach is he concerned about criminals of course he is but he's even more concerned about government overreach and so that is what true conservatism is about That's what we need to get back to remembering. That's what I fear the kind of corporatist, lazy, statist, conservative starts. Well, you know, they're, if they, if they were arrested, they probably did something. Yeah. Say that when your kid gets arrested. Say that when your wife gets arrested. Say that when your father gets arrested. Okay. So let's be a little cautious before we throw all the bums in jail when some of the bums turn out to be innocent people that we know. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Not to put too fine a point on it. What's what's down the pike for future legislation? Well, you know, there's also a bill that was introduced by Senator Hatch that I think is important. Uh, Obviously, he won't be in the Senate going forward. But that's, you know, a lot of people don't realize uh, during, you know, just before the Reagan years, there were really only four to five thousand federal criminal statutes. Now there's almost thirty five thousand federal criminal statutes. Wow. And almost the vast majority of those do not include they don't identify the the mental state that is required to be convicted. Wow. So the mens rea bill, as they call it, which, which would go in and identify what a guilty person's mental state would have to be is very important. That legislation is very important, but it's been adamantly opposed to by the Democrats. And so that's, that's a a challenge. They need to, they need to step up and realize that, um, you know, criminal justice reform needs to be comprehensive. Mm -hmm. And, and if, if you're going to go after mandatory minimums like like we should, well, we also ought to 
clarify um, what someone's mental state has to be in order to be found guilty, which is, as you know, that's the, the quintessential, you know, bedrock of criminal justice. Mm-hmm. But, and why is it that the Democrats are against it? it, it what about the bill is, is too, shall I say, conservative for them? So I, I, I've yet to hear articulated a great response, but I, as I understand it, that the mens rea bill, they believe would eliminate many of the environmental um, prosecutions and, and some oh, of the, um, the, the, some the, of the strict liability executive. crimes, as we like to call them. Right. That Correct. if if, exactly. if an outcome has happened, you must be guilty. We don't care what you were thinking. If you did X, whether or not you knew it was against the law, whether or not you were doing an act that you were aware was a problem, you're guilty. That's right. Mm. And, and 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 so that that appears to be why the Democrats are opposing um, that because if you, but if you boil it down to the the substance of the reform, I think everybody that took criminal law in in law school uh, would quickly agree. Yeah, there's supposed to be you know the law is supposed to identify what someone's mental state has to be in order to find them guilty. Right. Right. There's a difference between when somebody accidentally kills you, as tragic as that may be, and when someone plans to murder you. That's the difference in mental states as an example that we're talking about here. And the law is unclear on that on the federal level. Yep. That's a problem. That's exactly right. That's a problem. problem. And Senator Hatch was right to bring that, uh, you know, that bill forward. It, it, I think it had a lot of support and traction uh, last Congress but, uh, uh, or two Congresses ago. But we need to get back to that because it's important. Um, the, st- the federal statutes uh, are, I used to say that, um, well, you've heard the adage that the grand jury could indict a ham sandwich. It's, it's no joke. That mm-hmm. I used to also say, give me a business and I can probably, you know, let me into their records and I can probably find some crime that's been committed by somebody in their business. Yeah. (laughs) I've heard cops say that. I've heard, I've heard cops say that about uh, car stops, you know, give me a car and I can find a violation. If the law is so all encompassing that what we do every day as a, as a normal matter violates some law, then there's a problem with the law, not a problem with what we're doing. Yep, that's exactly right. Before I let you go, Brett, um, I would like to mention, uh, Brett and I, I think we discussed already, worked on the Senate Judiciary Committee together, and we worked with a number of people. And one of the people that we worked with is now a federal judge. And of course, you know who I'm talking about. Uh, That's Reed O'Connor. And... Uh, Reed O'Connor is a federal judge down in Texas now, and he has become well-known most recently because he issued sure the opinion right on Obamacare. And he said, sorry, right. unconstitutional. And I thought the New York Times, somewhat surprisingly to me, paid him a very nice compliment when it aptly said about Reed, uh, no one would question his legal ability. And then it went on to discuss the case and maybe criticize him somewhat. Uh, But overall, it gave him the due compliment of not daring to question his legal ability. But I'm afraid that there are other sources that are a little less charitable. Um, And I was wondering if you might say a few words, not about your personal relationship with Reed. He and I and you are all friends. But what you think of his 
legal ability because uh, I think it's second to none. He's a bright guy, but more importantly, more importantly, I dare say, as an academic, he is grounded in reality. And that's what we need from, from judges. So give no, me a few no thoughts question, on that. Rob. Yeah, no, no question that Reed is, you know, he's being attacked now as someone that acted politically. But if you read the opinion and you see how he has set it up for the appellate courts to to go ahead and and issue rulings and and um, you, you understand, even if you didn't know Reed, you would understand that he put a lot of effort and a lot of work and study into and this, thought. and that that's consistent with who he is. He doesn't uh, just if it was wrong and uh, but it but it advanced a, a political agenda, he wouldn't do it. That's right, and 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 my um, evaluation of him is absolutely the same, and my confidence in him. But it, it goes to the broader point, by the way. That I, I dare say Justice Roberts was completely wrong on when he said in response to President Trump, there are no uh, Trump judges, there are no Obama judges, there are no uh, Bush judges. Well, the point is a little bit more nuanced than I dare say the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court uh, posited, and I think he knows better. And the point is that uh, judicial philosophy does matter. It does matter. And there's no doubt that Reed O'Connor is a conservative when it comes to judicial philosophy. But when it comes to interpreting a statute with that philosophy in mind, he doesn't pick the winner. He picks the right interpretation consistent with his apt judicial philosophy. So, exactly right. right? Um, Brett, it's been an honor and a privilege to have you on the show. Uh, hope to talk to you again uh, on uh, Dave's show in the future and keep up the, the fight for uh, criminal justice reform. Uh, we need people like you making sure that government is kept in check. Thank you again, Brett. Thanks, Rob. Great to be with you. Take care. Take care. And this is Robert Steinbuck filling in for Dave today. Merry Christmas to you all. We were reading before we were talking with former United States Attorney Brett Tolman uh, from Utah, we were reading through the Democrat Gazette article on the Freedom of Information Act. And I was telling you the travesty that it is when you have this, these bureau hacks telling us, uh, like Oliver uh, from the movies, more food, sir. But they don't say more food. They say more relief, less work, more relaxation. All while you're paying their salary. So I want to pick up on that story. We've got uh, noted Freedom of Information Act attorney uh, from Arkansas, Joey McCutcheon, calling in a little bit later. We've got another Freedom of Information Act attorney in in Arkansas, Chris Corbett, uh, who I know well. Um, well, I know Joey fairly well also. Uh Chris Corbett, uh, hopefully stopping by uh, shortly as well to continue our conversation on the Freedom of Information Act. But before we even get to that, I'm going to pick up from the Democrat Gazette article uh, where I aptly pointed out that government lawyers have a host of advantages in lawsuits. So when they're telling you they're leveling the playing field, my response is and will continue to be, oh, what are you doing to remove the advantages that the government has. Wait, wait, you're, you're asking for another advantage and you're asking to level a playing field. But wait a second, you're stacked up 
seven stories high and the Joe citizen is in a ditch. So why are you out before the legislature with cup in hand asking for more when you should be giving back? When you should be returning to the citizen, when you should be leveling the playing field in favor of the citizen, not in favor of government. By the way, last time we had testimony in the legislature on these bills, we had government bureau hacks testifying and the Demgas and the Arkansas Project pointed out that the claims they made before the legislature, before the legislature, that's right, were not true. We're not true. They listed a parade of horribles about, oh my gosh, we had to do this and we had to do that. Wah, wah, wah. And so the Dem guy says, wait a second. Why don't we use the Freedom of Information Act and ask you for copies of all the times you've had to do these horrible things that you would say have been occurring? And they produced zilch, zero, nada. Nothing. But wait a second. You just told the legislature in open session about this parade of horribles. And you got nothing? You got nothing? By the way, we're talking about this task force on which I serve. And they traipsed up to the task force with the same old wrinkled script that they brought to the legislature and read therefrom the same bag of, you know what it is, I ain't going to say it. And I said to them then, wait a second, the newspaper said this ain't true. The Arkansas Project said this ain't true. What do you have to say about that? Well, you know, that's the response. Mumbles and groans and diversions and non sequiturs. That was the response. It ain't true. But the philosophy seems to be, folks, if it ain't true, say it enough times and maybe somebody's going to believe it. You know, you heard Brett Tolman say there are 35,000 roughly criminal, uh, federal criminal laws on the book books. Countless numbers of state laws on the books. I've written a book on one law. The Arkansas Freedom of Information Act. One law. And these folks during our task force meeting tell me that I get the law wrong. You know, you've got tens of thousands of laws to debate with me. Maybe you shouldn't choose the one law that I've written a book on, and you haven't. It's really remarkable how these bureau hacks dust off the same script every single time, even though their claims have been knocked down. They're like the little engine that could, I I guess. They figure they keep chugging along and one day they'll make it over that hill. They make $150,000, $190,000, some of these bureau hacks. It's a rough life, folks. 
You got people retiring from private practice going to work for the government and then saying, oh, it's such a rough life. I get a guaranteed salary. I get guaranteed benefits. I get a retirement plan. I get health care. I get a cushy office. But we're at a disadvantage. It's unfathomable, folks, the claims that are being made. Unfathomable. Let me pick up with the article. I need to take a breath. Steinbuck is a member of the Freedom of Information uh, uh, Freedom of Information Task Force, whose members were appointed by various elected officials and groups. Skipping ahead, without the Arkansas Freedom of Information Act, government officials could conduct st- state and local business virtually in secret. Experts say that's right. The law requires public officials to provide to any member of the public who asks almost all government records, including but not limited to checks, receipts, budgets, etc. And by the way. Emails, texts, emails and texts. Joey McCutcheon is going to talk about that because these government bureau hacks say, well, well, no, that's a text. I mean, come on, that doesn't count. That counts, baby. That counts. And by the way, it don't matter if you're doing the email on your private email, so-called private email, or on the government email. If the topic is government, the means of communication doesn't matter. Half the bureau hacks that you talk to don't even know that. We need some training. Joey's going to talk about that issue as well. It's really remarkable that these people just are constantly seeking to restrict the public's oversight into what the government does. Why? Ask yourselves why. Think about that during this SRN news. Folks, we have got a treat for you in this last hour. It's all Freedom of Information Act. You might say, wait wait a second, I'm going to take a nap. Don't do it. Don't do it, I'm telling you. Because this is actually exciting stuff. This is about how you Fight City Hall when they're doing something wrong. Remember, the biggest problem with government that we see these days is cronyism and corruption. How do you stop cronyism and corruption? You expose it. How do you expose it? You get the records. How do you get the records? You ask for them. Send them an email. Call them on the phone. Send them a text. Send them a letter. These bureau hacks might try to convince you that it's challenging to get records. It's not. Just send, find out who runs the agency and send them an email. You don't know? Find out someone that works at the agency. Say, hey, I'm trying to find out who runs the agency. Here's a Freedom of Information Act request. Send it up. Because they have to send it up. They're required to send it up. If they ain't the right person... They're required to send it to who they understand to be the right person. You make that request. We're going to go to our important person line, shall we say? (laughs) VIP line. We've got Joey McCutcheon on the line. 
Do I need to do this, Zach? Help me out. Should I press this? Okay, you got it. Zach's taking care of all of the engineering work. And in studio, we've got the esteemed Chris Corbett, also a Freedom of Information Act attorney, and an attorney that I have hired personally. Now, that's either the imprimatur of a good attorney or the demonstration of a fool. Or maybe a little bit of both. Joey, how are you, my friend? Hey, I'm doing well. Doing well. Glad to be on the show today, Robert. You're doing great work. Thank you, sir. Joey, what's the latest? What's going on in litigation in Arkansas right now with you trying to get records from various sources? Tell us about the challenges that you face. You know, it it just seems like there's an epidemic out here of of, uh, whether it's either arrogant uh, uh, bureaucrats who don't want to give up records. uh, And and sometimes you just got to ask yourself, you know, why not give up these records? What are you trying to hide? What, what's going on? Why, why aren't you being transparent? You know, right now, last week we filed a case, uh, filed a case on behalf of the Washington County Soil and Conservation District versus the Arkansas Association of uh, uh, Conservation Districts. It deals with an open records request regarding the allocations of funds received from sales of con- conservation uh, license plates. Uh, they had already had their hands slapped in an order in 2016 for the same type of violation. Now they're doing it again. And, uh, again, we're, we don't want – my clients don't want uh, a spreadsheet. They just want the documents. They want to be able to account for these funds. And so the question is, I mean, what's hard about just giving them the documents, making sure all funds are accounted for, or is there something more sinister here? You know, Joey, it's interesting you say that. By the way, you, I'm getting a little fade on your phone, so I don't know your locale if you can improve that, but just FYI. But it's funny you say that. I remember asking a government bureau hack once for certain records on dollars, on money, money, my money. And they came to me with the same thing. Well, here's some totals. Wait, wait, what? Wait, what? Uh, did I ask you to do me a favor and add these things up? Did I ask you to be my accountant or my secretary? No. I asked you to scan a document. Put the darn thing on the printer and press scan. And then email it to me. Is that too much to ask for from a bureau hack? But you see, Joey, you've homed in on exactly the issue. The issue is they don't want you to know what they're doing. They don't want you to know how much they're collecting. They don't want you to know their day-to-day operations because they like to operate in the shadows. And so if they give you a spreadsheet, I don't need to tell you, but I'm telling the audience through you, they're telling you, oh, we don't want to share the truth. We don't think you deserve to know. Who are you, Joey McCutcheon, to ask us for public documents? Yes, sure, you pay taxes. Yeah, sure, you're an attorney admitted in the state of Arkansas. Yeah, sure, you're an expert in the Freedom of Information Act. But who the heck are you, Joey McCutcheon? Getting in our way. Hey, we've got to travel down to the legislator shortly to ask for more exceptions to the FOIA, after all. Don't get in our way. Joey, I know that we've talked about all of the great efforts that you've done, and this is another example of you trying to simply get public records, and we've talked about that the Freedom of Information Act 
affords you the opportunity to collect attorney's fees. And for the most part, you've refrained from doing that. We're going to we're going to turn in a few moments to Chris Corbett and, and talk about some of the challenges that he's faced in trying to collect attorney's fees. Um, but it strikes me that your attitude might be changing somewhat on this. Uh, tell me your thoughts on that. Well, my, my initial thought has been and I've collected zero attorney fees uh, because I don't want to. I'm not do. I'm doing this for transparency and accountability reasons, and not trying to feather my own nest by taking these cases. So I haven't taken a dime's worth of attorney fees. But as Mike Masterson has has pointed out, you know, FOIA is pretty much a toothless law right now. I've, I've had some some good success with uh, Daniel Shu and at the Sebastian County Prosecutor, uh, who who is inclined to to prosecute at least send a letter up until this point. You know, but we've got to have more criminal prosecutions if, if we've got willful violations of FOIA. And as Mike Masterson has pointed out in his columns recently, you know, if it, a toothless law gets no accountability. So maybe there needs to be uh, civil fines and uh, and penalties. But certainly I'm an advocate also for um, for training. But as you say, sometimes you've just got to go go for the attorney fees. Although, you know, I've just been really reluctant to do that. And uh, but uh, but if that's what it takes to create accountability that, that these bureaucrats uh, are, are going to have to pay my attorney fees every time that they slap the taxpayer, uh, you know, up the side of the head, either because we're just not talking about open records violations. I've got several op- uh, open where we're legislators or I'm sorry, where uh, local folks are doing public business uh, in secret through emails and text messages. We'll have a Supreme Court ruling here very, very shortly. Uh, so uh, sometimes you're right. You're absolutely right. If that's the stick that it takes to make people comply with both prongs of FOIA, open records, open meetings, then, then that's, what, that's what I'll have to do. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I, it's unfortunate, Joey, but I, I think we're in an environment in which bureau hacks are uh, seeing that they can get away with violating the FOIA left and right. Uh, we have prosecutors, for the most part, who don't want to prosecute those cases, uh, and that's unfortunate. Uh, and so we're left with very little teeth in the law because so then they turn over some documents in the end. So what? They've got to delay it. They've got to deny it. Uh, and then they got to defend it. The triple D, yep. as Chris Corbett likes to say. Uh, and in the end, they wind up where they started, but they dragged you and your clients and the public and the citizens and the taxpayers through the mud and through the muck to make it as hard and challenging on the average Joe to get public records. That ain't by accident. And so they no, do it time not. and time no, again. Not. Go ahead, Joey. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Joey. And, and, well, no, it's not. And and uh, you know, and then they pay pay these uh, government lawyers uh, hundreds, sometimes thousands upon thousands. In the city of Fort Smith case that I've got up on on appeal right now, where basically uh, they were they were conducting public business by secret email on two separate occasions. Unbelievable. Now they're appealing this room, the, the summary judgment uh, ruling by Judge Fitzhugh up to the Supreme Court, paying their lawyers huge sums of money. I've FOI'd how much they're paying their lawyers. 
at just a, a crazy amount of money, you could find a lawyer on every street corner that would take this case for X amount of dollars, yet they're paying these city lawyers all this money uh, to fight something that is is really just a hype of arrogance. Uh, so, so we can't do our public business in the back of McDonald's public officials. You can't do it on secret email chains and text messages either. Got a case going right now in Ozark by Stephen Whitaker, who's my client, uh, who, who did a four-year request. And then I was convinced that they were, they were making decisions with text messages. FOIA does documents, got those documents. Sure enough, they're conducting public business by secret uh, he, uh, what, what is this, the Hillary Clinton method of conducting <laughs> government business? Do they all have private servers in their basements that explode and disappear when they decide to run for the next elected office? It's unbelievable. It's a culture of cronyism and, and corruption bridled with secrecy. I can't stand it, Joey. And... We've got to be vigilant against the encroachment of the growing government and the growing state seeking to take our dollars and tell us, we don't need you. Look the other way. Just keep sending us your checks. By the way, Joey, these attorneys that, what was it, Fort Smith, they're hiring private attorneys and writing them checks, right? This is not a government salaried attorney. They're writing them high-dollar checks. And then they fight. They fight when a plaintiff's attorney, meaning an attorney seeking the records, wants itty-bitty attorney's fees. Am I right yeah, about that's that? Right. And that's exactly that's exactly the case. And, and spending thousands upon thousands, you know, up to hundreds of thousands of dollars defending uh, what, you know, somebody would scratch their head and say, why would you do that? Uh, the, you know, back in a case that I filed against the city of Fort Smith, Many years ago, the Supreme Court said, look, if you don't if you don't know the definition of meeting or you want to change the definition of what a meeting is, what is is, uh, then go to the legislature and change it. Where have they been over the last uh, session after session after session? Well, it hadn't been to the legislature. No, they'd rather spend uh, uh, thousands of taxpayer dollars to appeal a decision up to the Supreme Court on what a meeting is. So and then and then the other the other frightening thing and I, I wanted to compliment you on some great comments in the paper this morning uh, are is are the legislative sessions where where last it was open season on our sunshine laws and and that's very disturbing uh, folks like you fought a a great battle Jim Parsons out you of too. Uh, out of uh, you know uh, Dan Greenberg was another one I was down there. Uh, you know, we have got, we cannot, the exemptions are going to become the rule. They wanted to gut, as you know, and I'm speaking to the choir here, uh, they just wanted to gut FOIA last time around. And uh, Senate Bill 373 was, was you know, it, it, it was not an attempt. It was a solution looking for a problem. And um, thank goodness that um, uh, wisdom prevailed and, and that thing was shot down. But now they're arrogant enough, they're bringing it back again. It's remarkable, Joey. We're going to go to commercial in a moment. But before we go to commercial, uh, and we'll pick up with this, and when we come back, we'll talk uh, to Chris Corbett. He's going to tell us about his attempts to get some attorney's fees. Uh, but Act 373 was an attempt to pour Drano down the throat of the Freedom of Information Act. 
So if you think that is a, a, a salve for a problem, it ain't. It's poison. It's toxic. It would destroy our Freedom of Information Act. So, folks, start paying attention because in two weeks we're going to session and we're going to have to fight the cronyism and corruption again. This is Robert Steinbach filling in for Dave Ellswick. We're back with Joey McCutcheon on the phone and Chris Corbett in the studio. Chris, uh, I know uh, personally that you are seeking attorney's fees in a case that I'm involved in. And it's, a bit, it's been a bit of a challenge, I might say, as I understand it. That might be an understatement. You told me today that you just filed a brief uh, in response to the government state agency who says you're not entitled to attorney's fees. You got the records, as I understand it. They're the records that I wanted. You got the records. They say you're not entitled to attorney's fees. How can that be? <laughs> Good evening, Robin. Thanks for having me mm-hmm. on. And uh, you're absolutely correct. We have gotten all the documents that you requested. I say, let's say relevant documents that you requested. And um, now we've uh, dismissed the case, uh, the FOIA claim. And now we are pursuing the attorney's fees in the Arkansas Claims Commission. And um, So why aren't they writing you a check? They, they've actually, uh, they're running defense in the Claims Commission now, in the Claims Commission, saying that um, you have not preserved your claim for attorney's fees and that you, we did not substantially prevail because we did not have a court order saying that we substantially Wait, wait, wait a second. I'm a little lost here, Chris. I'm a little lost. You know, I, I just wrote the book on the Arkansas Freedom of Information Act, and in that book, we say you substantially prevail if you get, indeed, most, not even all of the records that you wanted, no matter how you get them. If you settle because they show up on the courthouse steps and hand you the records... You substantially prevailed. If you get a court order, you substantially prevailed. Did they, did they refer to my book? I mean, come on, Chris. My book is the Bible on the Arkansas Freedom of Information Act. I'm sure they quoted my book that said, if you get the records in settlement, that you substantially prevailed, right? Surprisingly, they did not Wait, quote what? your book. Wait, what? Say it again. <laughs> they, Say it again. Surprisingly, they did not quote your book. <laughs> and um, like Joey said, th- there's no real consequences for them uh, denying the claim. And now that they... We've how, long, how long did it take you to get those records, Chris? Uh, we've been, uh, boy, mid-2016, late 2015. So four years of litigating. That's correct. How much money are you asking for? We're asking for just under $15,000. $15,000 for four years' work. That's you must be a greedy bastard. <laughs> I mean, well, what did you do? We, uh, we worked hard. We worked hard, and they, they, upon getting pretty close to settling the case, they, they turned over all the relevant documents. And, and, and now they say, but you didn't substantially prevail. That's the standard in the law, folks. I kind of know that. Because did I mention I wrote the book on the Arkansas Freedom? Has That's that right. come up? Joey, has that come up in this conversation that I wrote the book? My modesty may have restrained me from mentioning that I'm the co-author, the most recent one, no less, meaning the one that did most of the recent work on it, the most recent author of the Arkansas Freedom of Information Act treatise. Joey, have I ever mentioned that before? Well, I think I've heard it a time or two. Exactly. And uh, but but they, I guess they don't believe in the Bible before you. Right. Uh, you right. know that's uh, 
I've, I've got one going right now with, with uh, Jim Parsons versus Ecclesia. You know, they uh, legislators give $700,000 of taxpayer money uh, to a private college, a small private college in northwest Arkansas. Now they don't want to give up the record. Of course they don't. Tooth and nail, hearing after hearing. Uh, you know, our charges aren't, our charges won't be anywhere close to what these government attorneys charge. And, uh, what are the, you know, Joey, give, the Joey, I mean, give me some of the numbers prevail. on what, what these local municipalities are paying private attorneys to litigate against government, excuse me, public citizens, uh, to, who are trying to get FOIA records. How much have these little municipalities coughed up to private law firms? All right, well, let's just take the case of Bruce Wade versus the city of Fort Smith, which deals with unlawful meetings right. by email discussing abolishing our city's civil service commission right. by various uh, board of directors. Um, we filed suit. Um, they um, We're about uh, a minute out from a heartbreak, Joey. Okay, fight, Half a fight, us, fight us at every turn. They've spent $50,000 up until this point defending this $50,000! Yeah. $50,000 of taxpayer $50, money. And these are the folks, by the way, you heard it, who say, we just want a level playing field. Oh, boo-hoo, boo-hoo, our life is so rough. Are you kidding me? This is the travesty. We'll go to the news now. This is Robert Steinbuck filling in for Dave Ellswick on The Ellswick Show, 101.1 FM, The Answer. 501-823-0965 is the call-in number. We've got uh, Freedom of Information Act attorney Joey McCutcheon on the line. We've got in-studio Freedom of Information Act attorney Chris Corbett. Chris, as we were discussing, you just filed a brief in support of your motion for attorney's fees. Uh, what, what was the result? I mean, you just filed it today, but you told me offline a sort of a comical uh, but interesting point that is worth highlighting on the air. Tell us yeah, that. so I was able to file the uh, response to a motion for summary judgment online. And then, uh, of course, when you do that, you copy the opposing attorneys. And um, I got an auto reply back that said they won't be back till next year. It's nice being a government attorney, isn't it? Must be nice. Must be nice. So you're in the office working, asking for less than $15,000 when Joey McCutcheon points out that the local municipality spent $50,000 on a private attorney. You're asking $15,000, and you get an email auto response, hey, we're on the beach. That might be a bit of an exaggeration, but we're out. Yeah, we're out. won't be back till January 2nd. January 2nd. We'll, we'll talk to you then. That's a rough life, let me tell you. I, I've got to get myself uh, some uh, footy pajamas, uh, a nice cup of cocoa, um, and a, uh, a sleep hat, uh, and maybe I could do that job, you know? People say that academics have it light. That's a, uh, we don't make the money that, that the government attorneys make for the, for the most part, I'll tell you that. Or at least the ones that I've come in, uh, 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 whose salaries I've come in contact. And those salaries are guaranteed. Guaranteed time. Right. Well, you're, you're, listen, you're, you're an attorney that, that you don't, doesn't somebody write you a check every year automatically? Wait, what? <laughs> no, wait, wait, you mean you gotta, you gotta hustle 
For the business? That's right. And Joey knows very well what I'm talking about. You look at the FOIA claim, you make a determination of whether you think it's a viable claim. And and I heard Joey say that he hadn't gotten attorney's fees or hadn't asked for them. But um, I think you should, Joey. And um, the reason the reason the law is written like that is um, so attorneys like ourselves will take the case yeah. and help the Arkansas citizens get the documents that they are rightfully due. Wait a second. Let me see if I understand this. You had the temerity to represent Arkansas citizens against government agencies. You got records that they were withholding. You sought a modest fee for your hard work, and they're fighting you tooth and nail. Do, do, do I got that right? Tooth and nail with no consequences. They'll spend the taxpayers' money um, defending the, the request of the documents. It's unbelievable. Wouldn't it be easier just to turn over the records? Absolutely be easier. And it's only really method of finding out what's going on in government. Right, right. right. It's, it's one of the biggest tools that I have to, to uh, attack a county or a city or a state agency, even to see what's going on. Maybe it's not an attack. Maybe it's just to see what's going on. Yeah, yeah. I've been involved in using the Freedom of Information Act uh, for legal uh, research, for academic research. And let me tell you. Uh, I, I know folks across the country who use it for academic research. They use it to determine the admissions um, programs put on by universities and law schools, for example. And across this country, universities try to hide their admissions programs. They try to keep it secret. Harvard is facing this right now. Harvard is being sued for discriminating against Asians. And so in the lawsuit... The party suing Harvard said, well, you know, give us their admissions records. No, we can't do that. It's a trade secret. It's like the recipe for Coca-Cola. Wait, wait, what? Wait, what? I thought that the equation for getting into Harvard is good work and smarts and good grades equals admission to Harvard. Wait, what? Nope. Nope. Did you pay off somebody? Did you give a good donation? Oh, that's a check mark. Oh, are, are, are you an athlete? Oh, that's a check mark. Oh, do you qualify for some minority status so that we can put up on a chart this percentage of this group and that percentage of one-legged Bolivians and this percent, percentage of left-handed lesbians because we need a percentage of every group as we say it, because we're creating a Petri dish, an experiment where from that primordial ooze, we shall see the inception of life itself. Or is it more likely that the facade that you're putting on about being about the best and the brightest is only partially true? And you're pursuing your leftist social agenda under darkness and while receiving federal government funds, amongst other things. It's a scam and a sham is what it is. Joey, I want to come back to you. Uh, uh, in these last uh, few minutes, we've got, we're going to take a break in probably five minutes, but before we do so... I want to raise an issue that I've been talking about all uh, episode today that came in from a caller 
we understand, and you're you're an Arkansas attorney. Chris is an Arkansas attorney. Uh, both of you are Arkansas citizens, Arkansas taxpayers, and we now understand that at least one of the public universities in Arkansas, in some fashion, in some part, and somehow, is telling uniformed police officers who want to attend school they may not wear their uniform with firearm to school. So I'd like your thoughts, we'll start with you, Joey, on that as a a matter of good policy and whether you have any thoughts in terms of the law on that. Who should be making these calls? Should that be a decision made by the government, by the executive, by the governor? Or should this be made by some unelected, unaccountable bureau hack who's afraid of guns because they're so left they fell off the cliff already. <laughs> what are your thoughts, Joey? Well, I think you just you I think you just answered your probably your own question, but this is this is bizarre, it's crazy. I mean, we don't want to we don't want an, a, a law enforcement officer carrying a gun into a classroom. I mean, why not? Why not? I mean, Again, it's just more. It's just more of a tax on, on our constitutional rights. Uh, it's 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 purely and simply that it's just the, the arrogance of bureaucrats thinking they can they can tell the people what to do. It's just like FOIA is the people's law. Uh, you know, it, it just belies common sense. It's just uh, it's just crazy. From a, from a legal point of view, I probably need more information, but but it looks pretty pretty clear to me i was been looking at that you know again at act 562 uh, last session i mean it seems pretty clear to me that that the the, the it's it says it, it's unlawful for a person other than law enforcement other than a law enforcement officer um again i'm i'm not giving legal advice so then, here but so then they're just it's so it sounds like they're just making up their own rules. Their little leftist environment, their little commune, where they're exempting themselves out of the public law. This, of course, is why Charlie, Charlie Collins had to enact campus carry, because when he gave the schools an option, some unelected bureau hack without, by the way, polling the students, polling the faculty, polling the community... Decided, we don't want no guns on our campus. We're a bunch of leftists. And they all opted out. Well, guess what? It ain't up to them. They don't own the school. They don't own the building. They don't own the land. You do. And I do. And every tax-paying citizen does. And they're telling us, you can't come on public land as a cop wearing your gun. Are you kidding me? Why don't you just decide that people can smoke dope on the streets of the university as well? Because we've decided to opt out of those laws as well. Yeah, how about how about a little thing called safety? I mean, uh, are we more safe with a with a law enforcement officer who's trained carrying a gun into a classroom, or uh, everyone going in there like a bunch of sitting ducks? I mean. Well, don't you know, Joey, don't you know that gun is going to jump out of that secure snapped holster all by itself and get itself involved in a mass shooting out of the hands of the law enforcement officer, the very one that we would call 
in response to a mass shooting. Don't you know that, Joey? Don't you know that that firearm not only has a mind of itself, but it's got a malign mind of itself, and you better strap that puppy down because it's coming after you next. And what, what's the alternative, Rob? Should he should he should he uh, get down to his skivvies in the parking lot, change out of his uniform, and leave his his weapon in his uh, in his car? Oh, that sounds safe. Oh yeah. Well, oh, that sounds real safe. Is that, that's the yeah. alternative we want. Not only that, I I I, uh, I know from when I lived in New York and had involvement with uh, the police uh, that you can't do that as a cop. You're not allowed to leave your gun in the car as a cop. It's a get, he would get fired the next day yeah. if he, they found out he left the gun in the car. I, w- I bet it. I, I would happen to bet that it, it's safer on his side rather than locked up in his car. Uh, not if you're a leftist, because then you got to look at it. You got to actually see a gun and understand those evil machines exist. Yeah. That's pure evil. Yeah, that's well, another. It's another example of the uh, the inept administrative state. Right, the that's ignorant, exactly what administrative it is. state. That is it. The the unaccountable, inept administrative state. There you go. It's really remarkable. Why don't we take a break now, uh, and then after the break, we'll continue this discussion. Uh, we're almost done with today's show. It's gone so fast. It's amazing. Um, uh, I appreciate uh, all of the great input that we've had so far. Now to break. And this is Robert Steinbuck filling in for Dave today. Uh, we're on our last less than 10 minutes of the show, and we're talking to Joey McCutcheon, noted Freedom of Information Act attorney in Arkansas, and Chris Corbett, also noted Freedom of Information Act attorney in Arkansas. Joey, back to you and continuing our conversation about this seeming policy. We don't have all the details at some state university forbidding a cop from wearing his uniform and gun uh, on campus uh, while he's a student. Um, Tell me how, if at all, we can use the Freedom of Information Act to find out more about this. What can we do? Yeah, I think we need to, I think we need some specific information. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, I I, I didn't listen to earlier parts of the show, so I don't know. I'm not sure I know all the all the details, but me neither. Uh, certainly, we need to find out the details, and and thank goodness for a strong FOIA law on the open meetings uh, side that that uh, may give us the ability to find some answers uh, to those questions. And uh, that's but, the point, uh, right, Joey? That's the point. The point yeah, is yeah. that we have an issue here, and one thing that we can do is we can contact the president of each of the public universities and say. What is your policy and what are you doing about cops who wear their uniforms and guns to class? Do you have a policy? Do you have a prohibition? And we can discover this in short order, thank goodness, for the Arkansas Freedom of Information Act. Is that right? That's right. And, and, you know, one of the things I want to say, another another, uh, uh, HB uh, 1622 was brought up up in 2017, which which now they're trying to extend the, the time that government has to respond to the people's request oh my goodness uh, which which i mean why do they need a law i mean it, it, you know as well as i do they produce the records within three days earlier should be uh and if, and if that doesn't happen i mean 99 times out of 100 robert or joey's gonna say hey how much time do you need do you need another right. week okay i'll give you another week right. but we're trying to protect government from the people 
and and that's just wrong. And, right. and I'm hoping legislatures hear this loudly and clearly uh, that that the citizens are tired of, of uh, corruption. They're tired of cronyism. They're tired of the Government Protection Act, and and they they value their rights. And uh, we, the people, have to stand up. And let me let me say here that uh, Bill Ray Lewis in Harrison uh, created the first the first transparency in government group in our state that I know of. It followed suits by Jim Parsons in Northwest Arkansas. I created a transparency in government group in Western Arkansas. We are our mission is to create transparency in government groups in every county in the state. And uh, and we're going to get lawyers who understand FOIA, who are willing to help citizens like Chris is, and uh, and hold government accountable to the people. You know, that, as Ellen Kress so appropriately said today in the column, uh, it FOIA is the people's law. And uh, Governor Rockefeller, the crowning achievement of his administration, a Republican governor, you know, with a bunch of Democrats and uh uh, they want to they want to turn his law and the people's law on its head in one session. Republicans, I mean, amazing Republicans who believe in it, supposedly believe in the rule of law and and, and accountability, are trying to undo FOIA last time in a single session, literally six wow. at least what ten 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 exemptions were passed last time. Uh, hopefully, they've gotten the message that the people are tired of that. And as you know, Joey, I was out of state uh, the last time they were going up yeah. against the FOIA. I fought against it remotely. I sent out emails. I wrote columns. But trust me, as you already do, that I will be down at the legislative session nearly every day or every day with Dave on the radio, no less. And I will be holding their feet to the fire along with you, along with Chris Corbett, along with various advocates for the Freedom of Information Act. This is, as you aptly say, the people's law. This law protects the people. And government bureau hack after government bureau hack traipsing into the legislature asking for handouts to make their high-paid, guaranteed salary jobs even easier than they are will Find no quarter from people like you, me, and Chris. I assure you of that fact. And the other problem is, you brought up earlier, the Ecclesia College scandal. It's an absolute scandal. And if I hear of anybody seeking to protect records that are now not protected regarding the Ecclesia College scandal... I tell you what my thought is going to be and my response is going to be, oh, do you have something to hide? Why are you trying to hide this information? Do you have something to hide? How many legislators and other folks in prominent positions have we already caught with their hand in the cookie jar when it comes to the Ecclesia College scandal? It's unconscionable. So when you hear people say, well, you know, that's a private school and this and that. Wait, what? And you donated, uh, you, the government gave a bunch of money to that private school. And now you, and we know a whole bunch of illegal activity occurred already. And you don't want to open it up. Why not? I, well, go ahead. Can I say something here? Yes, sir. Well, back to lawyers. Uh, 
Travis Story represents Ecclesia College. His partner, Bob Ballinger, uh, state representative Bob Ballinger, gave money, gave taxpayer money to Ecclesia College. Bob Ballinger was the chairman over HB 373 when he shut down Jim Parsons from asking questions and making comments in when he was talking about 373. So what's wrong with that picture? Wow. Wow. We're giving public dollars wow. to a private college, and then the the representative, one of the representatives' partner is the law firm. I mean, who benefits well, the, from the, that? The, there should be a recusal there. Should be recused. Uh, absolutely, absolutely, there should. But it, but it just it just uh, again that's a that's a convenient way uh, to to funnel dollars in that will pay attorney fees. And, wow. and it's just it makes no sense. Uh, it's it's uh, yeah. Uh, we need we need like more transparency. I would like to see a legislator, and and it might just happen. Propose an amendment to the Arkansas Freedom of Information Act that says. More information gets turned over, not less. More information. And think about this, folks. Think about how we have these foundations for universities that collect money from taxpayers in the name of the university for purposes related to the university, usually athletics. And they say, what, us? Government related? We don't know what the government is. We've never even seen the government. If we bumped into the government, we would say, who are you? This is the absurdity of it all. And by the way, go look at the numbers, the dollars that these people are making in these foundations that are collecting money. We have government employees collecting money for these so-called private foundations that use the money to pay for activities at the university, all to avoid the Freedom of Information Act. We're going to clean it up, baby. We are going to clean it up. That's where I want to see some activity from legislators, not assisting these bureau hacks that want to hide records. This, I will declare, is the year of transparency in the Arkansas legislature. Now we just need to make it happen. We're going to make it happen with people like we had on earlier, Senator Kim Hammer. There are going to be plenty of solid conservatives who understand the benefit, the purpose, the value of transparency. It's been an honor and a privilege to sit in for Dave today. I thank you so much for your time and consideration as Dave guests listening to me. Joey, thank you. Chris, thank you to the audience. God bless and good night. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.